was uh, two grand in cash, a revolver with about 12 rounds of ammunition and a shotgun with maybe a dozen rounds. That's all the robber needs. I pulled the gun out, I said, stay where you are and no one's going to get shot. I jumped up on the counter, fired a shotgun up in the ceiling. I felt honour bound to confess to the two murders in Golden Screen. I shot the geezer in the back, the lower back. I never forget, he flew through the air like a film. Life times two, plus a recommendation, he never be released. John Hilton has served 45 years in the UK prison system, longest serving prison we've had on this channel. We're seriously considering stabbing him. Well, I thought, no, I'll hold off, because I still want to escape. I thought they were waiting to measure me to get home. And as I come through, he beat me right across the kidneys. I will gouge the first screws I out and that was my door. But here's the cosa, bang. Besides then, you're gonna go. There's blood from the front room all the way down the passageway, all the way down the stairs. I was wiping up blood for days afterwards, you know, from the stairs. I'd go and fight 10 men because I don't care. The craze, they couldn't console him. So, they put me down in my van and shot him in the head a few times and took him down to the big farm and buried him. Kicked the front door down, went in there, I shot to chop his arm off. Always for me, a dangerous man. A gunman, a killer, an armed robber, dangerous man. Today we've got a mind-blowing, epic, probably part one of a series because there's so much ground to cover. John Hilton has served 45 years in the UK prison system, longest serving prisoner we've had on this channel, and the only prisoner to serve in every single prison in the bloody country. And you may be wondering, John, how, how, what happened to your fingers there? Well, I was in the Rochester de Bolster in 1947, and I made an escape attempt, and uh, I was trying to bend this still expanding wire back, and it all come away, and I fell down to the landing, I chopped these two fingers off, that was hanging off, this finger was hanging off, that finger hanging off, and that finger hanging off. I was taken to St Bart's Hospital, she was saying Wednesday nights. They operated on me. In the early hours of Thursday morning, I was taken from the hospital on a stretcher and placed into the back of a an old dirty old work van, drove back to Rochester Borstal, carried down to the punishment cell and placed on two tables in the punishment cell. The light was turned off, the door was shut and left me. Now I was there for 24 hours. And during that time, I was in absolute agony. I've never been in as much pain in all my life. Blood seeping through the bandages. Uh, I urinated myself. I couldn't, I couldn't do nothing. And in the morning, no one come near me. No doctor, no nurse, no officer left me here. And in the morning, someone looked at my people. Young man going up from Chokey. Heard him say, They went up. He told the rest of the boys where I was, and they all went down to the, head, to, to, to the housemaster and said, if you don't put me in hospital, we'll smash the place up. They took me out and put me in hospital. And I was there for three weeks. Um, while I was there, um, the, the, president, the president committee came down. There was three, not, uh, there's no more visiting committees now. 
It's all different, but there was three uh, magistrates used to come down and punish you for your misdeeds. And they come down and sat, looked, stood at the foot of the bed and said, he accused of trying to escape from Borstal. How do you plead? I said, guilty. And they said, well, we're going to give you four months delay stage, which was four months longer the sentence. And that was at 17 years of age. And nowadays, if that happened nowadays, it would cause murders. But in them days, prisons was very brutal places. You can't imagine how brutal it was. You know, they believed in physical punishment and mental punishment. And punishment were, they give you bread and water for days and days and days at a time. You know, this is what happened. So, anyway, I got over this. And after a few months went by, I went down to the uh, housemaster and said, can I have my uh, route march, please? We used to go out every Sunday and go on the route march to the country. I said, can I, I've been severely punished. I've learned my lesson. Can I go and have a route march? He said, all right, he said. So on Sunday, I went on a route march and we went by a wood and I ran into the wood under a bush and hid there. Hey? And we had the, um, they're all looking for me. Whistles was blind, all looking for me. But I was in this bush, they couldn't see me. And oh, the, 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 the physical training instructor, he tore his trousers. And he was right outside the bush. He said to me, if I catch that little bastard, he says, I'll kick his ass all the way back to the ball store. <laughs> or, or not, <laughs> don't let me get caught up. <laughs> anyway, I got away. And uh, went down to Bethnal Green and started uh, started to steal uh, rolls of cloth from tailor shops. And this night I got nicked and uh, I went to, went to Ballstall. Uh, I went to Rochester Ballstall, and, um, which was a very tough place. And when I went down there, they had long tables with two boys each side going down. And the head, the, the table leader, used to have his, all the food would come where he was, and he had his cronies down there, and we was, at the end, there was me and an Irishman. Receptions. By the time the food come down, all we had was the scrapings. So I said, I've got, can I have some more food? I said to this table leader. He said, go on, fuck off, he says. I said, well, I said. So I went down, I plotted up on this geezer, and he used to go and clean his teeth regular in the, in, in the showers. The bed legs used to unscrew. They're about three foot long. I unscrewed this bed leg, wrapped it in a towel, and said to my mate, keep watch. When he comes in, just whistle or something and let me know. I went and sat in the toilet, the, the door shut, and he come in, I heard a whistle, I picked over the door, he was bending over cleaning his teeth. So I, I walked up behind him, pulled this thing out, this bed leg out, and beat him over the head about four or five times, as hard as I could. And he fell unconscious, bleeding heavily. So I went back, I screwed it on, and nobody bothered. In them days, the, the, the prison wasn't bothered. I'm dead without a week. So I went and sat down where I normally sit, me and my this new, new fan, and I said, do you want to be the table leader? I said, no, 
I don't want to be the table leader. All I want is a dinner. I said, what do I want to be a leader for? I don't cut the ball stool to be a table leader. I said, all I want is be dinner, I said. Give me your dinner and I'll be okay. But after that, I got my dinner's regular. I was happy, you know, <laughs> I carried on. So, John, like this situation with the fingers then, how did that change your character? Well, as I said before, lying in that punishment cell, I think it was a seismic event in my life. <clears throat> And I said before, I will never show fear and never show that I'm missing the family or missing whatever. Just button up and present a calm, quiet facade to everybody. I might be raging inside. I might be frightened inside, but I'd never show it. And that was the lesson which was forced upon me by circumstances beyond my control in some areas. That's what happened to me. So therefore, I took that lesson I learnt with me for the rest of my life. So that was easy to maintain, was it? Yes, yes, the rest of my life. Because the more I'd done it, the better I'd become at it, you know. And this is what happened. And uh, eventually, one day, oh, I went to, um, I got caught when I escaped from Rochester Postal. I went to Wandsworth Prison, to the Postal Wing. Ah, uh, mad. Uh, everybody there had escaped from Boston and they're all waiting for their punishment. It's my turn come. And how do you plead? All these people are in there. How do you plead? I said, guilty, I said. They gave me 15 days number one, which was 15 days of bread and water. You had a cup of bread in the morning and a glass of, not much water you can drink. You had that three times a day. Right? And top of that, they gave me 14 days no mattress, which meant not only was I on bread and water, but I had to sleep on the concrete floor. This was the punishment in them days. Also, I wasn't happy with that, they gave me 42 days number two, which was 21 days of bread and water, seven days of ordinary food, but no duffs, and seven days to finish off. That's a long, long time I had to spend down the punishment. You know, and, that, that's, and I was, uh, I was about 18, 19 years of age, you know. So this was, you could say that I was a child of the Home Office and I'm a product of their breeding, I'm a product of their, what they've done to me, you know. I take no pride in it, but you've got to survive somehow, you know, and this is the only way I had to survive. How did you adapt to sleeping on the concrete? Great difficulty. But I was young, in them days, you can, I just had some books, I'd be blankets and some books, um, just use the book as a pillar and put the blanket around me and went to sleep. 14 days, oh, murder me. <laughs> Bains would open, I was starving, hungry, I couldn't sleep, freezing cold, oh, that was, that was rough. So earlier you said 1947, you were 17, so you were born in 1930. No, 1929. 1929, yeah. the Great Crash and all that, the August depression. 1929. So what was your earliest memories? <coughs> earliest memories was living in 112 Brixton Road, still there the house, with my mum and dad and my two sisters. They was my foster parents, but I didn't know. I didn't realise that. 
Uh, I lived a normal life as a kid. I used to um, pick flowers and shell them up all shit to sell it to the, to the fighters in the gardens and things. Ordinary kid for the 1920s and 30s, you know. And then one day uh, the war broke out when I was 10. So I ran out in the street looking up, expecting to see all aircraft coming over. Nothing happened, but then London started getting bombed. And I used to lie in my room, listen to the shrapnel rattle down and the guns going off, bombs falling down. Uh, there was uh, doodle bugs, there was these flying bombs going over left, right and centre. And if you could hear them, you was okay. But if they cut out while you could hear them, everybody used to stand there, please God it ain't me. Because they used to fall down and bomb anything. Bomb everywhere. And every morning at school, we used to get the school prayers to say prayers for the people, young kids, was killed the night before. You know? So this is my early recollection. And then we moved to Harrow, to Pinner Park. Um, there was a row of houses there, five, five houses in a row, and nothing, just the five houses. And one night, I was about 12 years of age then, one night, a bomb, a bomber let his bombs go, and a stick of bombs fell on this row of houses. Uh, there was a young soldier on leave from the army with his wife and family. I was the only one left alive out of the whole street. Only one left alive. Holy shit. Hard man to kill. The only one <laughs> left alive. And uh, I remember shouting and screaming, mother, mother, mother. <coughs> I heard someone say, all right, all right, we're coming. And I went unconscious. Couldn't breathe, dust, the weight of me back, terrible. I come through the depressed fracture of the skull, the bands around my head, in Harrow General Hospital. And I used to wander around, I love the place. I went down to go to the laundry, all the ladies, oh, come and have a cup of tea and have a biscuit with me. And I used to go down the laundry all the time, nice people. And then one day a woman appeared, good looking woman. And she says, I'm your mother, I've come to take you home. So I looked at her, I've never seen her before in my life. And she'd never seen me before in my life. But as she knew, I, I would never know. So we went to, she lived at Belgrave Square, 51 Belgrave Square. Uh, and then I had a, sort of, I woke up screaming one night, thinking there was somebody in the house or the flat. And they, they went to, they packed me off to Derby. I went to Derby, I lived with a family in Derby for a, a short time. Um, I stole a bike and I was to put it behind this church but I come and tumble and I got two on probation. And then I got went back home to my mother who lived at New Church Road Hove. Lovely house. Parky flooring, grand piano. Uh, my bedroom had a, a balcony with a built-in wardrobe and a wash basin. Beautiful house. But it was a house with no love in it no warmth in it, very cold, very clinical. And she was, I could sense she didn't really want me there. I was, in, I, I was a, a necessary uh, in her life, she didn't need me, didn't want me. So we had an uneasy relationship where I just used to keep out of the way as much as I could. I used to go, went to school, then I went to work in a little place, uh, a dairy, and uh, one day I broke into a shop, 
to steal a, a spanner, a little spanner, to my bike. Uh, worth about 20 pence in today's money. I got caught. Went to Hove Magistrates, Hove Juvenile Court, and I was during the trial, how do you plead guilty? I said, plead guilty, obviously. And they said, uh, the, the defendant's mother wants to speak. So I thought, what's that? And she's going to come and get me out of it, you know. She stood up and said, I don't want, um, I want you to take him away and put him in an institution where you can get some discipline because I can't control him. I was the quietest kid you could imagine, honestly. I cut the grass, quiet as a mouse. I looked at her and I thought, what, what are you doing to me? And the magistrate, he was surprised. Everyone was surprised that she came and said, I want to get rid of him. So he said, he shrugged his shoulders. He said, 18 months of proof school. And I went, I went to the proof school, uh, went to Red Hill. In Red Hill, proof school in Red Hill. I think it was anyway. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what she'd done. I know I've done the no harm, but as time went by, I began to realise that she took that chance to get rid of me. Because going back, when I lost my fingers, the prison, the, the, the ball phoned her up informing her I lost my fingers and she didn't even reply to it. So that is, the, I was unwanted, unwanted. So therefore, I had a difficult start, shall we say, in life. But that is no excuse because thousands of others have had the same as me and didn't turn out like I did. <laughs> you know? What with all these bombings going off then as a kid? Did that traumatise you? Uh, it was a time of, of fear and excitement. I used to go out catching sh uh, sh shrapnel in the morning, catching shrapnel, and bullet casing, you could catch it. And uh, yeah, it was, I wasn't really frightened, it was more, well, I was a bit frightened, but not too frightened. But excitement mostly. Anyone close to you get bombed? and not wake up the next day, they were uh, gone. Uh, well, we, uh, when, we, uh, when we stayed in Brixton, she decided, my mum started to move us to, to get out of the bombing. But that's fortunately, and she always said, I'll die in my bed. And she did. She died when the bomb hit the house, she was in bed. She died in her bed. How old was she? Well, I don't know, she was just a nice little, my mum, I don't know how old she was. Two sisters died, and they all got killed except me. Everyone got killed except me. Oh my God. Anyone left alive. And then an Irish nurse said to me in hospital, I think God must have saved you for something. I know I've forgotten my words because I've been in some terrible trouble. And I thought, don't do me no favours. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really the formative years of my life. It was was pretty, pretty rough, I suppose. But uh, I just accepted it. You have to accept things as they are. What he's done is done. Uh, that's the end of it, you know. I went from strength to strength. <laughs> <laughs> so in your late teens then, what was your life like? Did you have a girlfriend or anything? Uh, yeah, I had a girlfriend. A couple of girlfriends, yeah. It's all right, we had, yeah. But then I got nicked again. I got nicked. I went to the ball store. Fingers, escape, bread and water, all that. And then from then, the next thing, 
Um, I've got Nick for uh, Curious Baudrillard, a pal of mine, owned a club in Brighton. So I was living in Brighton at the time. I went down to, before I went to Brighton, I went, I was married, but I got my nerves. Got my nerves. It was just, looking back, it was the effect of how I'd been treated. I couldn't sort of project myself to anybody, you know. So I'd done a robbery. Uh, I got about <clears throat> a lot of money in them days, about £3,000. I give a thousand pound to my wife, sent it to her, and I went down to Brighton. And uh, I done a couple of robberies down there, <coughs> a couple of burglars, got a few quid. Got a nice flat in Brunswick Square. Bought myself uh, XJ 150, Jag. It was about, what was it cost? About 1,500 quid, I think. But I paid, I had the money, I paid the cash. Drop it, green, lovely, lovely. Old. I was cutting round for it, not that I ran about town, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, we, uh, that, and then I got Nick down there for this rock. This uh, friend of mine at a club. Before, before we get into that, whose idea was it to get married and how did you meet your wife? Why? Whose idea was it to get married and how, how did you meet your wife? Well, first? oh, what how happened was I, was I was going out doing robberies all over the place. I was to go away for a couple of months at a time. Manchester, Leicester, you, you name it, I've been everywhere. And this day, um, I thought, I don't want to go back. I thought, I can go back to my wife, or I go to Brighton and have some fun. I thought, I go to Brighton and have some fun. As simple as that. And how did you meet your wife? Uh, I met her in a, a, uh, my first wife, I met her in a skating ring. In a skating ring? Oh, was it a skating ring? Yes, it was, a roller skating ring in Derby. <laughs> I love roller skating. I yeah. roller skating. I met her in, I met her in, in, in the skating ring. She's a pretty woman, looked like Jackie Kennedy. And uh, so I thought, oh, she's nice. And we got on together. And eventually we got married. We had a son, Stephen. Uh, but I was living with her in laws, and that didn't suit me. I, I just. There were too many people around me. I'm not a man who likes lots of people around him. I like my own space, you know. And it was one of them things. Really. But we went back together when I came out of prison. We went back together. But then she lost me when I got Nick for Mitchum. We split up for good then, obviously, you know. And uh, it was, um, it was one of those things that I just, Wanted some fun, I suppose. I don't know. So I went down to Brighton, all right, at this club. We went down to open up. Some pals of mine from London come down. And uh, we're having a good drink and a jolly up. And a geezer come in and said, Is that your mate who's come down with you? I said, What are you talking about? What mate? He says, The man outside bleeding heavily from a wound. So we went outside, it was Morris. He's dead now, God rest him. And uh, he had a, all his eyebrows torn off. There's a geezer called Bob Featherby, it's him, the big bully he was, it's him. And so we all had the ump. So it, it, uh, we opened the boot of the car and uh, I pulled out a chopper and he had a couple of knives come out. I said, where do you live? And so I said, 28 Oriental Place, 
We went round there, kicked the front door down, went in there, uh, I went, I'll try to chop his arm off, uh, cut it back in the smashing, and you know, we, we've done what you had to do, let's get away. On the way out, we rammed the car, got in our way, on the A23. Run out of petrol. Oh. I couldn't believe it. So I said, I, I said, there's a van coming up here, I said. I'm going to pull them out in the van, nick their van and go on, get on, leave the car here. As I got in, as, I, as the van, call, van pulled up, someone said, Nitto, Nitto. I looked round, there's a police car right behind me. So I said, on your, on your way, on your way, I said, on your way, and they thought I was a policeman. So they sped away. Police car. I said, oh, I said, oh, I'm a bit of trouble. I said, run out of petrol. Now, Nicky did not realise that the scream had gone in, looking for four men in a car. They said, get in the car, I said, we'll take you to a petrol station. Well, at that moment, I had a, I had a blade on me. I thought, if you fucking go to the police station, I'll stab you right in the back of the fucking head. I thought, you know. Anyway, Jeremy to a garage. Knocked on the door. I'll give the kids some money, five cans of petrol. Poured it in the tank. Morris has died in the bush at this time, with a blanket over him. <laughs> red oil, covered in blood. <laughs> I said, thank you, officer, I said. I put a fiver, as the police box, I said. Oh, thank you, sir, he said. They knew who he was, but they were too frightened to come and get us. They pulled away. I said, you drive, John. I was a bit drunk. Ah, oh, fuck me. I was out of the winger. Next we're going, bang, crash, bullet, crash. All straight on my police cars, and you only had 23. Took to uh, Red Hill Police Station. Was it Red Hill? I think so. Uh, charged with all sorts of terrible things, grievous pull of the arm, breaking them entering, carrying weapons. <coughs> Went back to down the, back down to Brighton, where a fence took part. Run up by uh, I, I ran up on getting nicks, so I got five years. So I went down to Dartmoor, where I was on the quarry party breaking rocks, which I enjoyed. I'm one of the few people who can say he's broke rocks with an 18 pound treasure I was pleased to be doing so. Because <laughs> I've always been a strong exercise man, you know. And I was there for a few, 20 months. And uh, there's a place called Yestor. When a big tour, I climbed up this cluster, right at the top one, one lunchtime, looked out, I could see all pony trails where they should bring the old ponies years ago, where they led. And I thought, you never know, I might come back here. And if I do, I know where to go before I escape. Very true, nearly, I nearly got away again. Uh, so I done my bird, uh, went back to, uh, to Waterloo Station. I was met by a firm, the firm met me. The first words was, is there any work? They said, we've got one on Tuesday. I said, oh, thank God, I know I said. So they gave me a few quid, I bought myself a suit and clothes. Then went down to Jack of Clubs, aye aye, Savaloy, drinking up champagne, brandy. All the birds was around us. Uh, on Tuesday, we went out on a bit of work, a robbery. Um, what did I get? I got about, I think I got about four grand my week. We had a good touch actually. Yeah. And I got about four grand, so I went and bought myself a car and I got myself a nice little flat in, uh, oh, in Ornsey, up by Ornsey Rise. A nice flat I got myself up there. And I carried on robbing. My wife come down. She come down with my son. 
And uh, at that time, we was doing banks. Um, we was doing about every, every fortnight, we'd rob a bank. Uh, so Russian, it was the Russian, whoever, it was a good firm. Uh, every, who, who knew the area best was with the driver of the day. And this particular time, the first time I ever shot anybody, was when, when you did this bank, I jumped up on the counter and fired a shotgun up in the ceiling. It's a polished, polished iron ceilings in them days, all white stuff was to flutter down. Like snow. Yeah, and I just stood on the thing and I should have, I screamed out, I shoot the first bucket that moves, stay where you are. While I'm shouting and screaming at the people looking at me, they're going around emptying the, the pills, see? And so, boom, I'm the last man out. Uh, as I come down this, at the bank, I see a big old boy in the blue suit. He followed us out. And something made me turn around. I just see him about to launch himself on a mate's back. So I shot him in the knee with a shotgun. And he screamed out and we screamed away. And that was the first one I ever done. You know, I can't tell you what bank it is because the police would be going through the... <laughs> where was it? Where was it? Can we nick him? Can we nick him? <laughs> and, uh, and we carried on from there. You know, and then um, we was burglars. We was good burglars. We used to make our own keys. We used to get a key, uh, get a key with a grindstone, grind it all down, flatten it out with files and things. Uh, we used to go and get motorcycle uh, windscreen stuff, 30 or 40 thou, cut, cut it round to an edge like that. He lured the doors off. Uh, we had a small teacup, little thing to do the yell locks. We had a, if you put, a, if you put a, a lighter in front of a, uh, a, a lock, you'd be able to see if it's been used or not by how shiny the things are or if they're dusted it. It's the mortgage lock. Uh, so all they do is shine the thick to it. And if it hadn't been used, it was okay. And what we used to do, we used to get little bits of uh, wood stuff and put it in the crack of the door, in different doors. And we used to work between 12 and 4. And we used to do the rounds in high-class flats. There wasn't no council house, Mum. High-class flats. And we could see the little bit of wood further on the floor. So I used to ring the bell, boot and suited, hat on, briefcase, I had a big book, and we picked the name of Miss Helen Sinclair, uh, as about uh, your car. And uh, so, if anybody answered the door, nobody answered or ring the bell. We used to get uh, some Lloyd, thin Lloyd, and go up the locks and see what was on. If there was a lock on the door, you know. No, everybody go, lloyd the door off. I, one was to shake it, the other one was it in, clear them out. Jewellery, silver, whatever we can lay our hands on. And we done that, we used to work hard. And uh, at four o'clock, we turn it in. Between 12 and four, they all go out shopping, kids are going to school, they've got no work. Four o'clock, they start dribbling back again. 12 and four. We go and do four or five a day. That was the lot. And so we was in a lot of money. And we lived this, I lived a life. I bought a couple of cars, I'd booted and suited, and the wife had what she wanted, the kid had there, what he wanted, go out the, go out the West End once, once a week. 
I'll never spend no money on the matter. <coughs> Kiss the death. On the matter, I'll just order it. Like I'm just now. Up the West End, booted and suited. Because you can spend your money in the jacket clubs, the rehearsal, the swallow club, anywhere you want to go. Spend your money, didn't matter. Because I was all spending money up there. You fit it in well. But you couldn't do it in a local pub. Not a lot of them did. And they got nicked over it. So that's really, I carried on. What about fencing the goods? Hey? Would you sell the stolen goods? Oh yeah, but we had fences. Fences. Yeah, fences for jewellery, fences for silver. Mostly jewellery and silver. We should stick Nick. Uh, some good jewellery. Yeah, some good jewellery. Uh, and good silver. Making a good living it was for that day anyway, you know. And then the hammer fell. He always does. One day my doorbell rang and Gus Thatcher, who I knew in Dartmoor, was down in the hostel in Pentable. Hello John, hello Gus, how are you? I said, come in, he said. And he said, so I said, come round every night for your dinner. So my wife said, cook him a dinner every night, I'd give him a few quid. And one night, he said to me, are you working? I said, is the Copa Patholic? He said, of course I'm working. He said, with a bit of work, at Mitchell. That whole, what another man. So I said, who's, who's coming down with, with you? He said, well, I'm coming, he says. Another man, Bob, Scotch Bob, he was coming, and we wanted a couple more. So me and Kelly made the four of them up. It was down at Mitcham, uh, at Head Dairy, the Royal Arsenal Carpet Society, it was called. So he went down and looked at it. Very promising, very promising. At the, the dairy, where the dairy was, the, by the side of the dairy was a road called Sandy Lane. There was a school there. So I thought, all you've got to do is jump over the railings, cross the school ground, get up in toilets, look straight into the, where they're paying up the money's coming in. I thought, once these, all the money's there, we'll just come off the roof, go in, take the money and come back. We've, you know, I thought, that's good robbery, good robbery. Anyway, this Saturday night, we poured on it, over the fence, across the yard, up on the roof. Ah, oh, I don't believe it. There was just two geezers come out with these old-fashioned cans of tea, having a break, and they sat right opposite us. So they said, what should we do? And they all looked at me, and I made a fatal mistake. Instead of saying, we'll come back next week, be sensible, me, it, me, uh, it, my brain went, and I said, oh, we'd, we'd go in the front door and do it. So we come back, got in a car, drove in through the front gate, passed the old boy in, in, in the thing, pulled up, three of us went in, Gus went outside. I said, all you've got to do is watch our backs. We went in. Uh, as we went in, I got onto the screen, the screen fell away in my hands. As I got on top of the desk, a shot went off. So I thought, I looked at Bob, so I said, yeah. I said where's the money? He said, in the back. There was under, I'd get under the table, in the back. And I thought he said, it was in the bag, but he said, mm. in the back. There's a few quid there, I scooped it up. Gus come running in, everybody out. 
I just shot someone. Oh, I thought, I don't believe it. Oh, I looked at him, I thought, you fucking idiot. Went out, I see a geezer slowing there, hands in his pockets, the bullet all there, blood out of his back of his head. Dead as a door now. I, I said, come on, let's get out of here. Another shot was fired at Auburn Screen for a lorry. We went over this back sandy lane, pulled up, went over this little railway fence, I got into a car and drove away. Meanwhile, a, a person heard the car pull up with a screech of brakes, looked out his window and see four men cross this fence. Now, one of the cars we used was the Ford, Ford console. And this car had been used for some work. Oh, I didn't notice. Oh, I said to Kelly, I nick a car, you nick a car. And on and on, he didn't ask, well, where's the car? He said, I can get one, he says. He said, uh, it hasn't been used. It was used by a doorman who, on a doses club in Ledbrook Grove, and he was a grass. It's all my fault. Done the robbery, left the car parked up by an alleyway. My car was there. Crossed the bridge, got in my car, went home. Next day, I said to Phil, we've got to go and collect that car, I said. And he said, oh, he said, it might be on top, his arse was going. I said, let's go and collect the fucking car, I said. I didn't collect it. It was there for five days before a woman complained, there's a car outside our front. The police swooped on the car, bang, from then on, found out where it come from, went to the fucking doorman, who immediately grasped everybody in sight, bang. This night, I'm in my front room, I've always been the same, very sensitive to atmosphere. And I said to my wife, I don't feel right. I don't feel right, I said. And so, um, I had some money on me. I gave her a thousand pound. I kept a grand. I had two cars. One was a, a Zodiac convertible. And the other one was a, a 3.8 Jag. I got into the Jaguar. As I got into the Jaguar, all policemen flooded right by me with headlights and dogs and cats and everybody come out. And one of them banged on the bonnet of the car. I said, move on, move on. They all ran to the convertible. They never knew either, Jag. I got in the car, I thought, fuck that. As I drove around my front door, I could hear all policemen pass. I was gone. <laughs> I was gone, went over to King's Cross to uh, Singer, Singer Buildings, to a pal of mine, Scotch Tom. Good man, he was a good man. I said to him, I've had a row with your woman, can I stay a sister as long as you like, he said. Then the Mitchell murder come on. Man shot down deadly, gangsters and robbers and things. I said, uh, what do you think will happen to him? He said, oh, the Langham, he says. I said, have you got a drink? I said, I've got some brandy there. I said, <laughs> <laughs> I stayed the night and got in touch with Gus Thatcher, who was still on the hostel. He hadn't been grossed yet. 
So he came to the house and said, I'm, I'm on the run, I said. So I dumped, I dumped the car at King's Cross and we made our way back to Philbridge Gardens, Earl's School, students. I had a basement flat there. So I, I, I had some guns, I had a small machine pistol, locked and cocked, but that big it was, lovely gun. And uh, I sailed this out in his flat. I used to go out shopping and I had a couple of scares. One was a bad scare. It was the winter of 62, freezing. And I'm walking down Church Road Market, is it? Down toward the market, just out of pie mash. I got some food for Christmas. I had a big, big carrier bag for the food. And I'm walking down the street going towards my flat, there was a plainclothes policeman and a uniformed policeman walking towards me. I never had my gun on me. Never. I cursed myself. They looked at me. I looked at them. We both knew who he was. They knew I was John Hilton and I knew there was two policemen. I was wearing mittens at that time. I thought, I've got a bluff here. Done that. Put my hands on my coat and done that. The uniformed policeman put his hand against the, the, the door and then he had a nervo. He had a proper nervo. He went, oh, fuck me. And the other one turned back and looked in the window. <clears throat> and I walked by him like that. Back to me flat. That was a, that was a, that was a get out. That was a get out. Another one, I was going to see Bob Connolly at uh, Baker Street. And I'm on this train, crossed over from um, one to another station, and a policeman got on. Now two policemen got on. Now by now, the old paranoia is kicking in. I was shooting up. So I had the newspaper, a newspaper. So they sat, empty carriage, they sat right opposite me. It's the herd instinct, it must be. Anyway, I pulled my thing out, Got it out, uncocked it, I pulled it out. I thought, now what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to go up Baker Street. If they get up at Baker Street, I'm putting them both down and I'm going to fuck off. You know? And you should, I suppose you should have felt excited and, ex and all the lot. I wasn't. I was as cool as a cucumber, if I say so myself, you know. And they, I got up at Waterloo and they stepped where they was. Those two policemen will never know how lucky they fucking was that day. I went to see Bob, done what I had to do, you know, and come back. And then Bob was, was saying at Southampton, yet a leave. <coughs> I said, come and stay with me. In the meantime, I went to see Sammy Josephs. He's dead now, God rest him. Sammy was one of the original um, airport robbers in 1949, I think it was. And they all got... 13 or 14 years, <coughs> and he was out, finished, but I knew him. We went to see Sam, I said, Sam, I said, I've got to leave the country. He said, I said how much money have you got? I said, I could put about 25 grand out, I said. Oh, that's all right, he said. He said, where do you want to go? I said, I fancy going to America, I said. It's a big country, you can lose yourself, you know. All right, he said, I can do that, he said. He said, um, phone me up every night. I'll get a sailor to come down, give him 500 quid, 
they take you aboard the ship and take you out past the customs and free to go. Oh, blinder! Oh, that'll do me fine. So, every night, no show. Christmas night, I thought, oh, I must have been a bit dumb. I thought that all the ships stopped sailing Christmas. I really did. I didn't know. Didn't realise if life goes on. I didn't phone him up. <coughs> I phoned him up just past one uh, New Year's Eve, was I think. He said, where was you? I said, oh, I thought you still... St nah, you fucking fool, he said. He said, he was sitting here waiting for you to come. I said, set it up again. I said, Sam, I'll give you a grand and I'll give him extra money for his trouble. And now I'm marking time. Marking time. Um, I've got rid of the gun. I'm just living there quietly now. Every day, phone up, not yet. Every day, you know, gotta come soon, gotta come soon. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Harry's. Having such a scratchy face, I'm always delighted to get a new Harry's set. There's a foaming gel, hydrating night lotion, and the razor with the weighted handle really gets the job done. The trimmer blade makes it so easy to get into those tricky places to reach. The shave gel offers effective lubrication and just comes off like butter. It's such a smooth shave. It shaves fast, efficiently, no discomfort, and it is so smooth by the end. The hydrating night lotion is light and non-greasy. Harry's is doing a zero pounds trial. Start shaving with the products, just pay for delivery. Save every time. Save on all your shaving products without sacrificing quality. You're in control. You can modify or cancel your plan from the account page. Make sure to support our podcast and start your own skincare journey by redeeming a free Harry's trial set. All you cover is £3.95 for delivery. Just head to harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, and have your trial set delivered to your door. That's harrys.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. And what happened was my brother-in-law, like an arsehole, he was driving about in a stolen car. And he knew where I lived because he's, he's my wife, he's his sister, you know, his family. And they said, <coughs> do you know John Hilton? They, they knew I knew him, because he said, yeah. He said, uh, well, you're Nick for this car, I said, we're going to go to prison for 12 months or something. Frick the life out of him. He said, he said if I tell you where he is, do you let me go? I said, yes. So he told him where I was. Knock on the door, come. I thought it was Bob. I opened the door, crash, they come in there, truncheons and bing, bang, 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 crash, wallop. Now, they said I fought like a tiger. I did. But while I'm fighting like a tiger, I found enough time and enough breath to say I was there, but I didn't do the shooting. In them days, verbal admissions was admitted as proof of proof. So I got a life sentence down to 11 words. They said there was no proof Hilton was ever there, he said, except his own verbal admission. Now, do you believe an upstanding officer or criminal? What chance you got? And everyone was, was getting nicked them days down to verbal. Everyone. That's, that's further on. 
So then I got Nick's, arm up back, band cuff, band, one gun was slipping around the face. He said, we're going to hang you, he says. I just looked at him and thought, fuck you, I said, no. So I went down to the police station, took him to the police station, in the police station. He said, right, what do you got to say to yourself? I said, fuck all, I said. I said, nothing, I said. He said, he said, all right, he said, yeah. He said, uh, you know your wife's going to get nicked. I said, what for? He said, well, she broke into the, the, the electric thing and stole 60 pounds in half a crown coins. They done it, kept the money. So I looked at him and said, she's going to go to prison and what can happen is she'll lose your son to the uh, social services. So I looked at him and I started smiling. You know, I thought, you've got to do better than that. He said, what are you smiling than that? I said, well, I said, if, it come, if push comes to shove, I will sooner visit my wife in Holloway than her visiting me in Dartmoor. He said, you cold-hearted bastard. He said, <laughs> well, I couldn't help laughing. I was somewhere laughing. And he said, I'll take him away. He said, you ain't going to say nothing. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then I wound up getting, uh, I was on remand in Brixton. Uh, I got a weight and measure to be hung one dinner hour, which was a bit creepy. And uh, I, I was, the door was open, door was open by two burly men in white joke suits. The, gut, the hospital wants to see you, he said. So I went in this room. Yes, I'm sitting down there, four big screws sitting there. And a great big tome, it was a great big book. Enormous book it was. All open. He said, sit down, he says. So I sat down. He said, uh, do you want a cup of tea? Oh, I thought, hold up, what's, this, what's going on? I said, no thanks, I'm all right, I said. He said, all right, I said, are you sleeping all right? I said, like a baby. He said, are you eating? I said, well, I can lay my hands on. Are you worried? I said, not particularly, no. I said, no, I'm all right. I said, oh, I said we're just, just going to weigh you, weigh you up and measure you up. And I said, yeah, how much you weigh? So they weighed me, dicking around with this thing. I was 13 stone, one and a quarter pound. Then he said, how tall are you? I said, five feet eight. Uh, just go under there. And I was under there, and they were dicking around. I suddenly I ducked. I thought they were waiting to measure me to get home. I said, you dirty bastards. I said, I'm not even fucking convicted yet. He said, no, it's only, it's only a formality. I said, formality, I said. Anyway, he said, these five feet eight, 13 stone, one and a quarter pounds. I'm back to myself. I had a bit of bush at the time. No one knew I smoked, but I started smoking years ago. I made a quick joint, bang, I said, I need this fucking badly, I thought. <laughs> I learned this thing, I thought, fucking hell, I thought, you know, oh, it's terrible. It was a really nasty feeling to get away to measure to get on. And then when the trial started, we got found guilty. We were dead in the water. Gus got sentenced to death. And the court, we went out the court, Bob said to me, we were sitting down at number one court. He said, what do you think, John? I said, we're guilty. I said, think of the father's guilty, I said. He went, why is the street and sat down? I said, I hope you're not, not going to fucking disgrace me, I said. I don't want no fucking tears or cries. I said, you up like a fucking soldier, standing like a soldier, I said. I said, be brave. Don't fucking make sure that people laugh at you. Went out the court, sense of shock. It was packed full, everybody and his brother come down to see the sentence of death. In them days, was a big thing. My wife was sitting there, tear-stained face. 
judge was there. They put the uh, they put the cap on, the black cap on, the secretary, black cap on. Uh, there was a, there was a court chaplain and other people all in britches and old-fashioned stuff in the back of the court. And he said, George Tasher, he's a horrible judge, he hated us. George Tasher, step forward, he says. So I just stepped forward. He said, the jury have found you guilty of capital murder, and quite rightly so, and went on to do the unthinkable. He read his form out. Never been done before. It should never have happened. He said, they did not know that in so-and-so date, you got five years, in so-and-so date, you got seven years, that you're an experienced criminal. He said, the sentence of this court is that uh, you will go to prison, uh, you will go to prison where you remain, no, the sentence of this court is you be hung by the neck until you were dead, and you will go to a prison to be held to such times as the sentence is carried out, a good on mercy in your soul. <coughs> so I came down, Gus went down. Stand forward, the three of us stood forward. He looks at us, he said, uh, he, he, he glared at us, he, he didn't like us, I don't blame him. And uh, he said that uh, the sentence of this court is that you will all go to prison for natural life. He said, and if ever time comes, he looks at me when he said this, because I was a leader. Uh, he said, whenever the time comes, I trust the Home Secretary of the day will take into account your crime and your character. Take them down. And they went down. And as he went down, of course, I winked and smiled at me, and I winked and smiled at him back. You know, fuck him. And uh, I went to see, I went in to see Gus. Gus was sitting here. <coughs> he was... He was fucking useless, he was. She'd never been a banana robber. And he was able to raise her in his hand. I thought, oh, God, you ain't gonna fucking help you. I said, don't buckle, I said. Don't disgrace yourself. I said, you know, don't buckle, don't buckle. And back, 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 back. Back to Wandsworth, back to ourselves. Six weeks later, the pill court, down near the, uh, the pill court in, uh, in, in uh, the Strand. Court of Justice. In the appeal court, the appeal court's a big room, along with books, the judges sit there, the lawyers are down there, and other odds and sods are working around. There's three judges there. So I'm sitting here. Gus is right at the end. And he had a, a his, his counsel was uh, Christmas Humphreys, and he was a Buddhist. He didn't believe in the capital sentencing, didn't believe in hanging. So they said, proceed. <coughs> so they proceeded with the case. Different guys got up. Uh, one got up, I had Lewis Holzer. Not bad judge, not a bad criff. He said all he could say was that he's pleaded, he's pleaded not guilty. And in words of verbal, that he was fighting like, fight like a tiger, yet he found enough breath to say incriminating words. You know, dismissed it. Cup of Gus. Chippers Dunphy's got up and he was struggling. And they just put his hand up. Mr. Humphreys, he says, what you sign to say is that there's four corners, A, B, C, and D. He said, and the prosecution failed to prove who was in each corner. 
It gave a song of life. He said, yes, my Lord, he says. Because the person who, saw, who described the killer described me. Medium size, thick set, dark hair. Gus was six foot four. Take your pick. You know, I was very near again. I'd have got first and among me. Don't worry about that, mate. <clears throat> anyway. They said, we're going to allow Thatcher's appeal. The Krippers' office came down to Thatcher. And this is what he said. He said, Mr. Thatcher, do you understand you're not going to hang? Yes, I was asked again. Mr. Thatcher, do you believe you're not going to hang? Yes, sir. And then he said this. Exactly. He said, what shall I do? Leave things as they are or carry on? Now, Gus, being Gus, being dumb, he said, carry on, he says. Instead of saying, I'd have got him screaming the court down, oh, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. <coughs> he had gone. Anyway, he said, all right. So he said, he went back into the court. I looked at Gus, I thought, you fucking idiot. I thought, you know. The judge said, uh, all right, you're a, whole, a life sentence. Gus has a factual life sentence. Bob Connolly, he won his appeal. They couldn't prove his alibi. Even back to trial, only armed robbery. I lost my license. I lost my life. What my uh, thing? Remember the ones with the crimes been life sentence. Gus Kelly doing his life sentence. Bob Connolly went to court, got 15 years for the armed robbery. Appealed, went to the House of Lords. I come out with 10 years. And Gus Thatcher could do the same. But what? But being, being captioned back in. Sensible, he said. Um, he said, "Leave things as they are." Because uh, the Crips and had done his job. He won his appeal, and he wasn't concerned about nothing else. <clears throat> and so that was it, really. I just went back, and uh, he went. To, he went. He came out of the death, death cell, and I was lying in there. No one liked us. They, the screws ate us. The, Lucky bullshit didn't hang, you know that sort of thing. In them days, it was more personal, very personal. And I'd done all searches, done my hard things. And then one day, I went to, on the governor, I saw the governor in the centre. I said, I don't like it here, I says. Get in my fucking nerves, I said. If I'm here much longer, I can take a screw's eye out, I said. I said, I don't care fuck who it is. Oh, he knew I meant it. Next day, whew, I was gone to Winchester. Went to Winchester, one of our prison. Food was very good. This day, we were neck exercise, and, uh, and a senior officer, or a PO, I forget now, he cut the exercise short. He cut, he cut the exercise short. And uh, <coughs> I said, you're 10 minutes too short, I said. He said, don't argue with me. He said, get in the wing. So I went to, I went, I, I went to fucking chin him, and another man got in the way and stopped me. You should never have done that. I wouldn't stop anybody. I let him get on with it. Went back to the, went back to the, uh, the, the mailbag shop. Stood with a cat, waiting to get me scissors out. They all come in for me. Come on, Hilton. We want you. So, uh, what happened was, oh, uh, one screw come in. Oh, one screw come close up to me, boom, I nutted him, he fell over. I picked a bucket up, got another screw over the rivet, 
water bucket. One come up behind me and let me cross the arm of a truncheon, knocked, the, knocked it out of my hand, the bucket out of my hand. And so I, I liked that because I knew what was going to happen. But they couldn't get my arms down because I've been working out of my cell in the bed for a long time, working out, you know, I've always been strong. And, it, and I went down and they took me in, in, the, in the choking cell, put me in the cell, and they hesitated, knowing they're going to come in and beat the granny at you. I said, you can come in, I said. They beat me up, I said. I don't give a fuck, I said. I said, but in the morning, I will gouge the first screws I out and open my door. Now, if you think I'm bluffing, come in, give me a kick in, and in the morning, blame the screw. You'll be all fault, the screw loses his eye. They didn't come in. What a relief. I thought, fuck me, I thought. <laughs> I've got that one all right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I've got to send the podcast. I worked in the laundry. Uh, while I was in the laundry, I was to take a little coffee jar of coffee down with me, and uh, a screw said, uh, they were told, or, give me that jar of coffee. I said, bollocks, I said. It's mine. And she gave me the jar of coffee. I said, I'll give you the fucking coffee, I said. I got up, got hold of him, drank him with, it's got a thumb, wooden thumb affair. Got him. There's a big tank of lactic acid there, uh, 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 acid stuff they put in clothes. I pulled him over, dragged him across. I was going to put him head in the fucking thing, but he managed to get hold of something and hang on for grim life. The bell would run and they came down and rescued him. Otherwise, he'd have been dead first in that. Went down to the choky. Uh, <coughs> that guy looks at me. You're being transferred to Dartmoor tomorrow morning, he says. So I went to Dartmoor. I arrived in Dartmoor. I was on a category A. Uh, I was category E. Uh, I was in Dartmoor. Um, and then they was building some security rigs, I heard. Four, three security, Parkhurst, Leicester and Durham. And they were shooting his wings for two reasons. One was the train robbers. Our mobbers, there was the excessive dangerous arm robbers. And I was classed as a dangerous arm robber, <coughs> obviously. So this day, they come and collected me. Big obnero boots to the landing, down crash, crash, crash. In them days, you had no possessions. I had a little cardboard box of a comb, a toothbrush, a shaving thing in it, and that's all I had, and a pen. And cuffed me, put me in the police car, police car back, police car front, I speak dog vans, respect the dog security ring, all the way around, like, dee, 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 stop him. So we swept into Durham. Well, I exchanged one hell for another. When I went in the wing, there were 20 screws standing there, waiting for me, and one of them said, Oh, are you one of them London gangsters? <clears throat> and I looked at him and I thought, shall I? Because I'm a sort of man, I'd go and fight ten men because I don't care. I didn't give a fuck. Fuck them. All I can do is get beat me up. I looked at him and I thought, shall I? I thought, no, no, I never said nothing. Sat down. What did he got? I had some biscuits, pick kind of them, a pen, kind of that, a comb, you can have your comb, kind of that. I did nothing. Step off. 
trips off naked. They gave me some ill fitting clothes to wear. Purple, all done on purpose, because they were dead knockers. Went to my cell. I, uh, the cell was uh, special cells with um, alarm bell bells on the inside of the door with a light outside to show it was still locked. Alarm bells on the windows. Very secure cells they was. Door open. Hilton, come on, doctor. So I went to see the doctor. And this doctor was a complete arsehole. All that there was in them days. He said, oh, he said, uh, you're one of them tough guys. I said, yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, you're right. Yeah. He said, well, this is the tough wing for tough men. I said, thank you for telling me, I said. He said, uh, <laughs> he said don't get saucy. So I looked at him. I said, I'm not being saucy. I'm telling the truth. He said, well, he said, people have got a habit of bumping in the doors and falling downstairs. Because they have to get out there regular. So I said, well, I said, if I bump into a door, I'll fall down the stairs, I said. I said, there'd be a terrible fucking row. I said, if you're trying to provoke me, and we're going to have a fight now, let's get to it, I said. I said, these two so I still don't have these over, and they shit themselves. I said, no, 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 I said, take him away, take him away, <coughs> lock me door. Someone shouted out the window, who's that? I said, John Hilton. It was Roy James, Tommy Grisby, Gordon Goody, uh, and a couple of armed robbers. I won't mention their names, there was a few armed robbers in there, <coughs> in me. But they all knew me, and I knew them. Fuck me, John, you're in trouble now. I said, I will be all right. I said, just carry on, I said. I said, do a few thrust ups, you'll be okay. I started laughing, didn't I? That's, uh, it was dreadful in there. Uh, exercise three at a time. All screws standing around the things, black gloves on, hats down there, all punching the things, and all intimidation, you know, trying to frighten us. Um, then when you had your bath, you had a bath in a big glass, a big encased glass thing, bath. They used to go in there with the tap, turn the hot water on so much, take the tap off. Well, there's that much hot water in the bath. And they used to stand in there and watch you. All intimidation. Strip off, have a bath. He said, you're allowed, I think he said, you're allowed four minutes. So, and when you, when you got near, they used to go, one minute, you had to go up and get, get undressed and go out. And that was your bath. That was your bath. All intimidation it was, you know. It was quite tough there. Um, it was a tough wing. It was a tough wing. It was full of... I hated us. They used to call us LGs, London gangsters, you know. And uh, it was bad there. And it was just... It, we had, it was um, intimidation, uh, the threat of violence lay on us all the time. Uh, the food wasn't too clever. Uh, so, carried on for about a year, and uh, everyone was getting a cake. Then, during this time, one day Roy James said to me, John, John, look out the window. Look out the window, I see a big van pull up. <coughs> the van doors flew open, and a soldier with a tin hat, <coughs> combat uniform on, SLR, a fixed bayonet, jumped out the thing, and done that up in the windows. We all ducked down, or oh, fuck, they're going to come and shoot us. Then all these soldiers 
pulled out this van. The sergeant said, right, get in line, get in line, get in line. We all got in line. Set weapons, load. Carry on. And they all started walking around the wing. God in the wing. God in the wing. Terrified. Oh, unnecessary. Wouldn't happen today. And one day we come out of the exercise yard, and there's a light machine gun there. On the top, there was, the next door to the exercise yard was an old laundry that the women used to use. And there was a water tank there, empty water tank. They put sandbags round the empty tank with barbed wire and a light machine gun with a soldier behind it. And we said, what's that fucking gun for? I said, I said you know. He said, that is so, if you try and escape, he said, we've got orders to shoot you, on, shoot you down, he says. Anyone comes over, gets shot down. Anybody who doesn't belong here is going to get shot. It's Liverpool Regiment it was, and that, and that was it. That was what we, how we were treated up there. So while you were doing your exercise, the gun was yeah, trained, The gun was on you? us all the time, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, not only did you have the screws punching the reins and threatening us, you know, non-verbally, shall we say, you had to imitate if this madman on a gun following this uh, round with a machine gun. <laughs> oh, I thought you soapy bastard of a machine gun. I had to see the dentist. <coughs> you're a dentist. You go out and see a dentist. Only in the fizzle. When I come out, there was a PO and two screws. There was four soldiers, bayonets, a sergeant, we went through in the convoy. All the women in the office looked at us in amazement. What's going on? Who is this man? Only me. You know, fucking hell. You thought it was James Bond coming out. Into the dentist. As he went to the dentist, one geezer went inside with his rifle that way. One went inside that way. The dentist said, <laughs> The dentist was shaking. <laughs> oh, I thought, yeah. Anyway. It done something, and I went back to the wing. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that was the extent of the, how they used to guard us up there. And if we told anybody now, they wouldn't believe it. But get the papers out, and if you prove it, every word's true. As oh, they said, they thought I was treated us. You know, and we had this, oh, for a long time. And then one day we had a cake of it, and uh, we said uh, we'll have a barricade up. So, I. Um, we all got together on this night, and uh, what's his name? One name, sir, train robber, Buster Edwards, nice man. He made a great big black pudding on a tray. Charlie Richardson got on two buckets of water. I went down to the we had a radio station with the earphones in ourselves. And that night, a football was being, football match was on. So I went down in the screw, I said, do us a favour, I said, I said uh, let us come through, put that, change the radio on for, for the football. He went, oh, I said, yeah. So he walked down the corridor, Gates was there, officers beyond the bar. Uh, another man was standing there, a, a con. And as I got near the gate, I lunged forward, I got my hands around his fence and held him. And as he held him, snatched the key, snatched his key ring, I opened the gate, and they opened the gate, and they all ran in. 19 of us all ran in. Barricaded up. One part was the church, the other part was the officers. 
we got furniture and barricades out. They, could, they couldn't get in the middle of the earth, never get in. So we was in there. While we was in there, using something for a barricade, this still cupboard opened up and all our records come out. So we all sat down and read our records. And I thought they was talking about somebody else. You know, uh, what's this? Elton is the leader of the wing, uh, cunning, dangerous, and fucking, you know, on and on and on and on. It's dopey AG. Tore up and looked on their faces, mixed them all like a snowflake. Fuck them. And so we used the, we used the, uh, not a very nice thing to say, but it had to be done. We used the church as a toilet, because you can't use a toilet with people in there. And, uh, they was all outside, rented and raving, Oast Pipes was out, uh, armed police was in there. It was there for 25 hours. And in the, 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 the madness, Ginger Cooper, he's dead now, nice man, Ginger. His son, he got on the phone, someone got on the phone to the newspapers, saying we're barricaded up, blah, 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 blah. So everyone's hacking and smashing and people were screaming and shouting. And I, I was standing near Bill. And his son said, hello, Dad. Hello, son, how are you? What are you doing? He said, oh, he said, I'm, in, I'm in the scouts now. I said, we're going to uh, have a jamboree or some, something, what scouts do. And he said, oh, well done, son. And I thought, in the midst of this madness, there's this little voice of sanity, of normality, saying, I'm going to have a, I'm in the Boy Scouts, and I'm going to have a little going out to the countryside to see what's going to I thought, what a counterpoint between <laughs> the two. It's quite surreal, really, you know. And then I cut the phone off. But we carried on. We was in there for 25 hours. Then we want to come out. Uh, Alan Bainson, at that time, was number two in the home office. He come down to get things sorted out. You know, big cigar, smoking a cigar. So everyone's a bit nervous about going out. I said, I'll go out first, I says. I'll go out first, he says. They attack me, don't come out. And another guy, Dennis, big Dennis, I'll come with you, John, he says. I looked at him, I said, well done, well done. We went out, walked down towards the showers, all the screws never said a word. Alan Bainton was there, in the showers, take all your clothes off and have a shower. That means you couldn't smuggle nothing out. Put fresh clothes on, left the showers, went down to the ones where there was a, all the tables was laid out, and there was a spread of food there like I've never seen before in my life. Yeah, lovely roast dinner. We had a great big bowl of custard and bananas. Great food, and I was laughing. I burst out laughing. I said, "Look at that!" I said, "I said you fucking assholes!" I said, "I said better than bread and water, isn't it?" I said, "When I was shut my door, and I, but that was that. We all come out, had a shower, and carried on. Then we got nicked for mutiny. Mutiny, and uh, they, they couldn't do much about it. Really, we was all doing a long time. I forget what happened. We did get a lot, bit of choking, I think. And then I got transferred to Parkhurst. I arrived at Parkhurst, and Joe Martin was the one who I saw. He said, thank God you're back, John, he says. I said, why? He said, we're going to have a chair up soon, I said. It's got to go off. I said, thank you, Joe, I said. Welcome to, welcome to, welcome to Durham, speech that was. <laughs> and uh, true enough, 
a few weeks later, we'd, we had this mutiny, then we had an strike, we smashed ourselves up, and they come round and got through the doors, and one out of the other and beat us all up. They beat us all up. So I was about the third to last going out. I remember Freddie, Freddie Sanson, God rest him, he was being dragged out by his feet unconscious, sort of strong box. Uh, Joe Martin, he was unconscious, the terrible cut over his head. Uh, and I thought, oh, fuck me, I thought, no. Then the door opened, I just took a deep breath and took a run, and I leapt, leapt like a madman on him. <laughs> Anyway, I was beaten to the ground and you know, like bang, 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 bang. Mm. Put to another cell and that was it. More or less, you know. We had a, then we had a hunger strike on that. Talk that hunger strike. Uh, I found an orange under the bed. Or about 11 days. I was doing some press-ups. Just keep strong. I thought, what's that? It was an orange. I got this orange here. The greatest orange I've ever had in my life. It was. <laughs> I ate the pill. I ate the lot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then it was back to Dartmoor. I think so, either. Back to Dartmoor. And uh, I tried to escape, put a plan together by Carter Dix. And then I went back to Durham again. Yeah, I got mixed up there a little bit. Were you getting visits during any of this? No, I don't like visits. I didn't want no visits. I said, don't come and see me. I don't want visits. I had a visit in, I, well, in 1963. I just got my life sentence and uh, uh, Mitchum. I went, my wife came and see me with my son. And I had nothing to say to her. Not really. But my son stood there. In them days it was glass, in front of glass. No, oh no. Like that, he said, a little coat on. He said, when you come coming home, Dad? And that slaughtered me. Ooh. And even today, they still slaughters me. The way he said it, are you coming home, Dad? I said, in a while, I said, and I said to her, I said, don't come again. He's too emotionally upset. I've got enough to do to argue this sentence without worrying about what you're up to. I said, go away, go home, and if you want to, divorce me. We'll always be friends. I don't believe, don't be nowhere I will, you know. And what she done, she divorced me. When I was in dubs, she divorced me. I'm happy for her. I hope she had a good life. I've never seen her since. All my stuff. And uh, that was that. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. There's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. The other day, I had to cancel free Amazon Prime memberships. I had a personal on the UK, Amazon, US, Amazon, company account, US, Amazon, UK, Amazon. Do you understand how hard it is to cancel these bloody things? That's why Rocket Money makes these things so much easier. Formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. Just like with me, with my four Amazon Prime memberships, you may find out you've been at least double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you've got to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N.
Thank you for supporting our sponsor, Rocket Money. Links in the description box. Cheers. I arrived at Parker's, just out of the security ring, and I exchanged one bad thing for another, because Parker's was terrible. Um, you had two shifts. You had the kicking shift and the nicking shift. One used to give you a belt in, I would nick you. The other used to nick you, I wouldn't give you a belt in. The situation in Parkhurst was absolutely terrible. It's one of the first, it was the most, one of the most hardest psychological episodes I've ever had to get through. Everyone was on edge, you clap your hands, the door bangs, they all jump. It was really, really bad there. Violence was endemic. <coughs> That's by the screws, not the cons. And I was casual gay, and all the cutties down there, and they said, we all, we're all going to, we, we, we're everywhere, but we're going to move ourselves down to the ones which is below, below level, below level. All you can see with the grass bank with all spiders in it. So we went down to, to the office to complain to the governor that why should we be living in these conditions like this? Because security says, oh, we move them down there out of the way. So while we were in outside to the governor, Someone said, you know something, John, we should do what you've done in Durham, have a barricade up. And before I could explain, Fraser come to the front. Good idea, we'll have a barricade up. Now, there was a long, long hallway with big rooms going off it. There was a social snooker, card room, at the, the, at the entrance to it was a steep of stairs with an iron gate. I tried to tell them that the gates opened outwards. All I've got to do is to pull the fucking furniture out. But they wouldn't listen to me. So I said, someone said to me, what are you going to do, John? I looked around there and there was a lot of good men, <coughs> a lot of good men. The public might think so, but I thought so. A lot of good men. So I said, all right, I'm with you, I said. And there's all well pleased, because well, others would follow me. So this night, we was going to go and barricade up. In the meantime, the usual thing happens. Somebody grasped us, and there was a waiting <coughs> for us with three foot rod sticks and a a squad of screws all ready to rock and roll. So we went up there, shut the doors up, rushed all sorts of uh, hot plates, tore them down, rolled from down the stairs, tables and chairs, even the snooker table went down, and it was crammed full of gear. It took a long time to pull out. So we're now there. Yeah, they're putting the stuff out. So, well, I can see what's going to happen. We're going to get beat the fuck out. So we carried on, doing the best we could. Suddenly they broke through. One screw got his throat cut. He lived. Uh, another screw got hit with a, a, a billiard ball, had to be tired. And they come in. They'd all been drinking. Please roll up three foot sticks in the rain and I come in 
and they smashed the place up. All the glass they smashed up, they smashed it all up. We didn't do it, they done it. And they beat the granite out of anybody who was pointed out. We was driven back to the end room. I was standing there and I'm thinking, I hope I haven't been dug out, you know, but the windows was open. So they could see in the windows. I'm standing there and one of them said, here's one of them, and pointed at me. And Longbottom, the chief said, go on, on your bike. So I went down this corridor, it, I was shocked. It was like a bomb had gone off. There was blood everywhere. I see the footprint, a handprint, bloody handprint going down the wall. It was like a war zone. It was quite frightening. Anyway, I got to the end to go down the steps. And when I saw them, I thought, fuck me, I thought, I it. 50 screws lined up on the gauntlet. Use a leather gloves on, truncheons. So I, I hesitated and I thought, whatever you do, don't lose your footing. So I just put my head down and plunged through and I was getting bang, crash, wallop, bump, bump, bang, 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 bang. Got through to the end and there was a deputy governor or an assistant governor from another prison who was there. He had a big stick in his, a bright stick in his hand. And as I come through, he beat me right across the kidneys. And that was absolutely, I vomited up my fucking agony. So I staggered, I thought, I mustn't lose, I've got to keep walking. I staggered to the cell, they emptied the cell and slung all water over the floor. And I literally threw me in the cell. I lay in a corner, well, I was covered in water, covered in sweats, covered in blood. And I lay there for a couple of hours, just, lying there, trying to get me it together. And uh, all, all, all night long, we stayed like that. Terrible stuff, you remember was in terrible shape. One man had 32 stitches in his head, another man had a broken, el broken uh, ankle, one had his arm done. Oh, there was a lot of injuries there, a lot of injuries. And then they, uh, they treated us badly. Uh, they used to spit in our food and um, tear our letters up, and put them in the shoe, and all sorts of all things like that. And they really was nasty, nasty men. And uh, so this day, we're going to go trial at a visiting committee or some fucking whatever you call it. These people come down and. Uh, Someone said to me, what do you reckon, John? Well, I said, well, oh, I should think we'd be locked up for nine months, I said. A good nine months, I said. And we're going to get plenty of fucking chokey. Don't worry, but I think so. I said, I said, well, anyway. A young man called John, little John, he was the first one down there. He said, let us know, John, what happened? I was sitting here thinking, oh, God, here we go. He came up the stairs on the landing laughing. And I thought... Maybe he's had so much he's got to his head, he's, you know, it's a collapse, you know. He's laughing. He said, fucking hell, he said, you're not gonna believe it. Up in the window, everyone, what happened? What happened? <coughs> he said, six weeks, six weeks pay, back to my own cell, back to my own job. 
and no one could believe him. But as I was going up the stairs, all coming back, six weeks pay, back to your own cell, back to your own job, because the penny was finally falling in. Loads of people got their solicitors on the farm, mums and dads on the phone, where's my son, is your right? They realised what, what was going on. I went down there as a lifer, I couldn't do nothing, they gave me 28 days shoki. And I just screw say, well we got one of them anyway, he says, oh, da, da, fuck you. Dumb, dummy choke, he went upstairs, into the wing. Carry on as normal as you can be. Um, list of ailments and screws. Then the solicitors start coming down, and people started saying, what happened? And they suddenly realised what was going on. The governor shit himself, the screws were all worried. They, said, they did charge people, uh, one got charged for cutting the screw's throat, one got charged something else when I get there. They didn't get a lot. And we went for trial, but it was nothing. They didn't get nothing. Like a 28 days, something silly. And then the floodgates opened, and all this all come out in the papers about the beatings, the psychological torment, the physical torment, the bad treatments, they all come out. <clears throat> and at a cost, we won the day. And that's what pleased me most of all, that we won the day. You have a battle, it's not to win. It must have changed to win. And we won the battle, we came away. <clears throat> and next thing I know, <clears throat> I'm down the chokey. My door opened, and Shrews was there. He said, you're, you're being moved to the whole prison. The whole prison at the time was a blinding prison. You had a governor there, Bill, Bill somebody, nice, nice man, lovely, good prison. So I, was, I had me bits and pieces with me, and all the screws were staring at me, giving me the evil eye, and I laughed. I started laughing. I said, goodbye, boys. Goodbye, I said. I'm off the, I'm off the hole, I said. Blinding prison, blinding prison. <laughs> they were glaring at me, and I went to the whole prison. Went to the whole prison. When I got there, all the rioters was there. Lots and lots of men was in the rioters there. And uh, I had a box full of food produced, all sorts of tin food and stuff you need in prison, toilets, big book, uh, Then I had a dinner that night, first dinner about the wages, months in fact. The chief come down and said, I don't care what you do, she said, you haven't got to go to work. He said, all I'm asking you is that you behave yourself, I said. We'll leave you alone, he said, if you leave us alone. I said, Governor, I said, move it to my ears, I said. Move it to my ears, I said. Got my word, we're no trouble. <coughs> and we carried on there. Uh, we, had, uh, we started cooking. Uh, I, still, I was always down the gym every day, down the gym every day. Eating well, and it was good there. It was really good. I mean, you, um, Charlie Wilson, God rest him, he used to make lovely cakes and things. Um, we used to drop acid every week. Every, every every weekend, all the prison was on acid. There was white lightning, strawberry fields, purple haze, different types of acid. So we used to get together and drop a load of acid and have our nuts, you know, playing music, eating, having a laugh. It was great. Every, every weekend that was. Was there a north-south divide? Because like you've gone from London 
Oh, to fall. no, not so much, no, because really, Hull was, there was a few down there, but there were so many Londoners down there, <coughs> they couldn't take liberties of us. The Northerners? <coughs> no, they had us, they did they, they, they this. But we, we was all right, we mixed with everybody. <coughs> so every, every weekend was acid weekend. And the rest of the week, I was smoking grass. We all was smoking grass. Did you have access to music to listen to music? with the acid? Oh, music, blinder, yeah. I went to see a film called, um, oh, an old classic western. <coughs> about a, a Sean, Shane, Shane, a Western. And uh, I think Alan Ladd was in it. And I saw this film, it was amazing. The colour, the movement, the people, best thing ever, I used to take acid regular. One of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, wasn't yeah. all that taken up around yeah, there? Yeah, we used to have to take acid regular. <clears throat> and so one day, the geezer who should bring it in, fell down dead. Because he was dropping acid every day of the week. 24-7 had done his art. He dropped down dead. And uh, everybody ran up to his cell to show find his stash of gear. He'd eaten it. When he died, they started to say, look, you've got to stop doing it. But we still took it, but more quietly. You know. So I was up there for a few years. And then I got sent to, I think it was sent to Lewis. I arrived at Lewis, I looked at Lewis, I thought oh, I can escape from here. I thought oh, I can escape from here. So I got a couple of pals of mine, sit up and escape. Me and some other geezer. Leathers was coming over the wall, we was going out, it works in the, it works in the kitchen, out of the kitchen, over the door. Anyway, I was all set to go. And two things happened. <clears throat> One, he grasped me, it's in the book there. It's all written down in the book, he grasped me. True, they had a puncher on the way down, and I couldn't make it with the ladders, so I was lucky. I was in the kitchen, screws coming, Hilton, got me down choking. I said, what for, I said. He said, I don't know. I said, well, fuck, you got to tell me, I said. I can't know, he said. In the government come down <coughs> in the morning, <coughs> he said, you're on down here, because we believe you're trying to escape. So I went into the Richard Burton mode. I said, are you serious, I said. I said, I'm waiting for my parole, and you think I'll be so stupid as to make an escape from a prison that I don't want to escape from anyway, I said. I said, who told you that, I said. What's happened, I said, is someone just stuck me up to get a brownie point from you, I said. I don't know who it was, but he's a fucking liar. I said, I would never escape, but I don't want to do it. I'm up for it, and I'm ranting and raving, and it works. He let me come back. I saw the geezer. I was seriously considering stabbing him. Well, I thought, no, I'll hold off, because I still want to escape. So they said to me, do you, would, you like to go and, would you like to go to Kingston? I said, not really. I said, it's full of nonsense, I said, you know. Wife killers. So a geezer come from the, from there. He said, uh, yeah, "Do you come from?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "Was well, he like good as gold?" He says, "That he was a solid man. He was down there for selling drugs to people, and one of the men's wives grasped him because he got in debt." So I said, uh, "Oh," I said, "What's this? What's it like down there?" He knew. He said, "Sweet as a nut." He said, 
no security at all. So I went down to the governor, I said, I'll go to Kingston, I said. Well done, he said. So they wanted to get me through. So I went to Kingston. So I'm in the, got a job in the, in, 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 the, in the kitchen, doing my thing, arranging this, arranging that. At the back of the kitchen, there was a wall. At the back of the wall was a railway. Along the railway was a hospice. All they had to do was cut a hole in the fence with hospice, bring two ladders through along the railway bank. There's no one there, the graveyard on the other side, and I'll go. So I'm getting this ready to go. Um, and what happened next to her? Oh, yeah, I carried on and I was a dark cook. And this morning, I uh, had to do some uh, toast and beans. So I put all the toast out, trays, put the beans in there. And uh, I just cut the bottles, empty bottles in my hand. Oh, tell this guy, while I'm at, before I go, while I'm at Kingston, uh, Kingston, the governor come down there with a, a lot of women. He was giving it the big one, you know, they all do. He said, ah, he's one of my best customers, he says. John Hilton, he said. He said, uh, I looked at these Muppets, they was, they all was, the egos was greater than their ability. He said, how are you? I said, oh, governor, I said, thank you for sending me here, I said. You've done me a right favour, I said. Done me a right favour, I said. Oh, I love it here, I said. I love it. Three weeks later, I scraped. I come out early morning, done my things, threw two bottles over the thing, let them know I'm coming. I've got a butcher's knife out. Once I've committed, I ain't coming back. Went to the fence, the, the wall rather, the big dome on it. Someone said, bang, bang. All right, we're coming. So I put the knife, stuck it in the ground. I don't need it. Then comes near me, I'm going to stab him. Ladder come over the wall. I jumped up, never forget, in my excitement. Pulled it down. My pal come up with a, 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 a balaclava on. I climbed my ladder up, sat on the dome, pulled the ladder over, put it down the other side, got down, Laid them both down flat, made our way to the, the hole, went through the hole, it, uh, it was a Ford Scorpio, nice car. And uh, I had a set of uh, jeans and things, because I was in whites. I should bring a gun, and he bought a, a, a Colt 45 automatic, lovely weapon. And uh, I put that down with my side, put my things on. I checked the gun. Loaded, that went in there. As I come by, there's two or three screws coming on duty. And I started laughing. I thought, you what you get in there? Anyway, I, and I went to a halfway house. <coughs> a man, and, I, and he had a scanner. So what happened was this. I packed all my kit up in a cardboard box. I made a list of what I got. I put it on the bed with a little smiley face before I went. And it took about three hours, I was told, <coughs> before I'd done what I'd gone. Where's John? I once said, I think he's gone for a shotgun. I'd do his work. They, no one knew. They thought I was just skiving. So they killed the breakfast out, went on. Then he went, man, they couldn't find me. 
He went round, I seen the, the penny fell. He's gone. Well, murders. There's murders. Uh, one got the one got a terrible bollocking, he lost his job or something, I don't know. Done something. Anyway, in the meantime, I'm now a free white and twenty-one. I got to his house, went in his house, woman was there. She had just come up, come out of prison, put the scanner up. Uh, one, I said, what do you want to eat? I said, I want a truck, I want a, I want two fried eggs, bacon, tomatoes, toast, I said, and beans, I said. Old English, I said, I'm dying for a good English breakfast, I said. She's cooking the breakfast. <laughs> While she's cooking the breakfast, it came over the scanner. And inmate John Hilton has escaped from uh, Kingston Prison. Uh, we believe he's armed, an extremely dangerous man, on no account are you to approach him. If you think you've seen him, phone the police. Oh, I thought, fuck you. Oh, my, you know, phone the police. <coughs> and I'll back to dinner, let me breakfast, nice cup of coffee, shook hands with her, thanked her very much, in the car, boom, down to King's Cross. Obviously, at King's Cross, you've got a lot of lodging houses, of prostitutes used, and I bunked in there for a couple of days. Phone my mate up, I hadn't seen him for 10 years. I said, it's me, I know, it's on the news, he said. He said, what do you need? I said, you know what I want, don't you? I said, give me two hours. All right, I waited for two hours. He pulled up with a bag. Uh, there was um, the keys to a uh, Golf GTI. Uh, there was uh, the keys to a flat on the Owsbury Estate in Woolworth. There was uh, two grand in cash. There was um, a revolver with about 12 rounds of ammunition and a shotgun with maybe a dozen rounds. That's all the robber needs. So I'm in business. So <laughs> we're out to the flat in Aylesbury. Everyone was a thief on the Aylesbury. Yeah, I was in safe ground there. Went in the Aylesbury. Um, I locked the door, went in, went out, settled in. I said, right, we've got to find some work, I said. So I said, where do you want to go? I said, I said, we'll try Brighton, I said. We'll try, we'll try the lanes. I said, nothing too spectacular to start with. So we drove down to Brighton. Because I was, I was lived there, I knew the back of the end. Went down the lanes, and I found a nice little tall shop on the corner. I said to, to Rab, I said, we'll have that on Monday morning, I said. It was the weekend. So we drove down there on Monday morning. Uh, I had a shotgun. I had a shotgun. Did I have a shotgun? No, I didn't. Revolver. And a shotgun, I think. Went down there, have a scout around. He he come back laughing and shaking his head. I said, what's that, I said? He said, they've closed down, he says. He said, there's a sign that says closed. Oh. Empty Jackie shop. Oh. I said, you're joking. He said, no. <coughs> I said, right, quick, quick. I had a look around again, found another one by Hannington's, the entrance to Hannington's. Nice little tom shop, nice window. There was a nice watch in there, 11 grand watch. I said, get that watch from me, I need a watch, I said. Wait till the doors opened, pulled up in the car. Wait till the door, I had a wig on, by the way. Wait till the doors opened. Ran in behind this woman with a brain. I put the gun on. Everybody, I said, everybody stay calm and don't move, and no one, no one's going to get shot. He done the wind. He done the wind. Opened the window up, put the bag, got all the tom out the window, 
I said, that one should do more than 90 seconds. He did that in 90 seconds. I said, that will be here shortly. Bang, bang, bang. We went out. And one said, don't shoot, don't. He said, someone, someone said, don't shoot. Somebody, oh, he, he, don't shoot me. I said, I'm, oh, don't shoot the baby. I said, mumbled. I said, what do you, I looked at him, I went, I said, are you serious? I said, shooting up the mouth, shooting a fucking baby. I said, are you serious? I thought I'd shoot you for saying it. So that's fucking truth. Anyway, end of the car, down <coughs> towards the <coughs> road ground by the cinema. Wig off, gloves off. I put an overcoat on, an old boy's overcoat, an old pair of shoes I had. He had all the jewellery stuffed in his pocket, big pockets. Went down towards the old stein by the Pontus Beer. There's a toilet down there. I said, go down the cars, John said. Take all the stuff out of the boxes <coughs> and put it in your pocket, I said. He went down the toilet. I'm sitting on the bench and the toilet's there with the glass door. Two big plainclothes policemen come past and one said, I was, what near to you? He said, there's nothing happening down there. I was sitting there like an old boy, slumped over like an old man, bald head, lovely. And uh, they went downstairs. So now I went in the overdrive. The gun come out under my coat. Slater catch me off. I thought if they come up with him, he knows he knows what's going to happen. I'm going to shoot both of them in the leg, drag the first person that was out the car and have my hands on and fuck off. Because I'm up right in the back of my hand, I'd have got away all right. <coughs> now I'm trying to really for action. To my great relief, they come up the stairs empty handed. I thought, what a fucking relief. I threw down the stairs, rap, 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 where are you? I'm all right, says, what I heard. I heard the radio, he says, so I put my trousers down and sat on the, sat on the seat with the jewellery on top of me and they come down, looked under the seat, <coughs> saw a man with his trousers around his ankles and come up. I said, quick, so got rid of the jewellery, got rid of the jewellery, got all the tom, put it in a, a container, an empty container. And uh, I went to, then we made our way down to the old stein the police were looking for us badly. One in the restaurant there had a roast dinner. And there was two police cars right outside. Four policemen all looking. I thought, fuck me, I thought. But there was a group of people, about nine people there, a little group of people, all having a little party and a little drinking. He said, what, what are we going to do? I said, stay here. I said, leave it to me. Took our time. They stood up. I stood up with them. They went out the door, I went right in the middle of them. I'd come out the door. And I said, that was a lovely meal, wasn't it? And they said, yes, it was very, they all smiled at me, I was smiling at them, lovely meal, I said. I said, I'll go there again sometime. I said, you know, I said, well, cheerio. And I went on my merry way. <laughs> and they were on their way. And the police, all they saw was people coming out, some saying goodbye. And I went, walked to the station, got on a train, and went home to Woolworth. Got the time out. Not a bad touch. I phoned my mate up. He come down there and look at it. There was a couple of nice gold chains marked up at seven and a half each. So I said, I'm not a greedy man. I said, keep that for yourself, I said. 
is hopeless. Clap yourself. Als er is rust in jury, als je nou I'm relying upon you to keep what you can for it, I says. So don't fuck me off. But he wouldn't fuck me because he, he just wouldn't do it. He was that sort of man. I wouldn't do it, you know. So we stayed there and the next day he said, come down the, the fountain, the pub in the Woolworth Road. Went down the fountain, the bag there, 16,000 pounds. I thought, that's great. That's a good start. I thought, you know, what a good start that is. So, we had a drink, he said good boy, I said good boy, we went home, we were pleased. I said, send some money to your wife. I pulled out £5,000, I said, put it in an envelope, register an envelope, and send it to your wife. She got some money, so she's happy, keep her happy. The rest, we're going to use to go on a robbery. Now, my plan was to go on the robberies in every cathedral town. Because every cathedral town has got an area, an enclave of wealth, good jewellery shops, things like that. All you've got to do is to go to a town, look down the main road, and if you're still for sale signs, don't bother to go down it. It's a depressed area. Find a good area. So we went down to um, Winchester, and we found a good area <coughs> opposite the station was a place called Jewelry Street. And there was a little top was on the corner. My aim was, we'd go all over the country, going little Thomas, getting hundred grand a time, and after you've done about six, you've got to get hundred grand. You know, proper soap, it's easy, it's easy. That's the plan to do it. So now we, all right, we're going to do this. So I went and bought a car for 1100 grand, 1100 quid. One off, that old Ford. So, Rabbit's driving. <coughs> this is a story, amazing. We come out of the house, like a film. I had a bag with a shoulder holster with a 45 in it. I put it on the roof. I put a box on the roof with a stun gun and some squirt and some ties. Tie the jeweler up. A little bit late, I found that about half past nine to half past ten, there's a lull. All the workers have got to work. The women ain't coming out shopping yet. The little gap where, if you, if you know what you can see, the little goes quiet. So my plan was to leave there about quarter past nine. Running a bit late. I don't know why we ran late. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Oh, fuck. I picked the bag up, the box, put it in the boot of the car. I had a pair of trainers to change over. Left the bag with the gun on the roof of the car. We got in the car and we drove away. There's a, there's a road up on the, uh, the Thomas of Beckett. I don't know the name of it, a little narrow road. We traveled on to the top of it. <clears throat> now we're in the car, it's got no insurance and no license, so nothing for it. It didn't matter. And you had four hour drive, you could lose it. We're driving down here, two cosmos was coming down each side looking at discs. I thought, fuck me, I said, pull back, pull back, pull back. I said, I said let them get in front of me. Give yourself enough space to get out. I said, I come to this car. I said, you've got to go up the pavement. I don't care what you do. You've got to run anyone down in a fucking way. We're going to get away. Can't afford to get caught. I'll give him his credit. He went white 
but he stuck to his guns. <laughs> yeah. So I'm reaching down now for the gun. It's on the roof. There's no gun there. I said, where's the gun? I said, where's the gun? I said, it's in the fucking road bill, Ollie, rushing me. I forgot the fucking gun. <clears throat> Coming down, the lights went green. We swung down there. We're going down to the, uh, uh, the uh, Elephant Castle. He pulled in the bus lane. Before I could say, don't drive the fucking bus lane, now I've lost myself here with a gun. We had a gun. Wasn't it on the roof? No, we had a gun. We would to collect the gun. Now we're back at our original journey. You found the gun? We found the gun. As he pulled over, a car ran over it. Oh, shit. Threw it in the bag. So I picked the bag up, the gun was not. Put the gun in the thing, in the thing of gun. Now we're on our way back home. Well, we're on our way. He's got in the fucking bus lane. Before I could say, Get out of the bus lane, there's a police ranger over in front of us. I looked at him and I thought, you dopey. Oh. <coughs> I stopped. And the big old cosa, big red faced cosa, coming towards me, licking his pencil with a book in his hand. <coughs> I ran the window down. We can't give up because we've got all robbery equipment on us. I'm on the run from the fucking life sentence. So I said, pull up, don't go, don't go, go stay where you are. I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go out, pick the gun up, I'm going to shoot him in the fucking shoulder, and we're both going to run to the Range Rover, Nicky's Range Rover, and fuck off. Very bold, I must say, very bold indeed. As he's coming towards us, the traffic lights went green or something. I think it had changed. There's a gap. <coughs> I said, go. <coughs> he flew. Turned a tractor of right by the buildings in the old Kenton Road, over a sleeping policeman, screamed to a stop, we off in my hands, picked the bag up, the strap was hanging out of the bag, ran towards this alleyway. That led to another main road, I forget what it's called now. And two old boys, two geezers, were stopped looking at us. They looked at us, I said, don't worry, I said, it's candy camera, I said. Candy camera. And they were looking around with the camera. <laughs> we jumped over a low wall, made our way to this restaurant, the calf, the double front is calf. Shot in his calf. Gawk in the head. Sirens everywhere. <clears throat> As the police sergeant having his breakfast. So I went and sat right next door to him. Eh? And Rad went and got some toast and tea. And I'm sitting here with a cosa. I started talking to him. I don't know what I said to this day. But as I'm talking to him, a car pulled up, a red doom and nutna, screeched to a stop, four cosas all looking in there. And I made the cosa laugh. I said something, and we're laughing. And what they saw was the police sergeant laughing with another man who they thought was the policeman, very likely. And they drove off. Drove off. Took my arse off in moments. So we walked, so we had our thing, went home. 
And she said, what should we do now? I said, what should we do? I said, we just got the pictures, I said, at the West End. So we caught, a, we caught a, 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 a tube up to the West End and went to see the good fellas. I said, we're going to see the good fellas for inspiration, I said. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we happened. And then we went home and uh, that, that put me off for going down the, the motorways anymore. Bit of a blunder. It was a, uh, it was bad thinking. So I said, we'll, we'll go up the West End, I said. I said, I'll do a Tom shop and we get 100 grand, 120 grand, 50 grand out of it. I said, what I wanted to do was to do this Tom shop at the West End in Bulletin, Bulletin Arcade. No, Bulletin Garden, sorry. Get the money from this. I was going to invest <coughs> some money into hiring out a big shed down Carpenter's Walk in Bow. And you had a sliding thing with chains and that, and that thing got a block and several grand to forward. I was going to give a couple of grand to my pal to go and steal a baby skip. I was going to put the skip in there. I was going to get heavy duty bars and things. I was going to strip it right down to the chassis. I was going to take the the, uh, the thing off the back <clears throat> and I was going to put in this place three, three bars going out with flanges like that, like an arrow in a row, right? And these bars, they come up and went down and I went down with a big bolt going right through it, a big thick bolt. That's my plan. <clears throat> and what I was going to do, I was going to drive the car, drive the van down to the bottom with bushrunces. Bouchons, I think they had three windows or four windows in there, I forget now. But Bouchons had been done a little while before uh, with a, a lorry, went through the window and they necked a necklace for 750 grand. And I saw this necklace because I, I bumped into the geezer who stole it. Anyway, so then I was going to get this all organised, I was going to get pl uh, car, uh, plywood, do on the sides, uh, Jay Harrison, Specialist lifted equipment. I was going to paint the things black and black and yellow. Put a flag on the top. <coughs> I get wrapped to drive it down. <coughs> and park up. <coughs> Bang on up, boss nine. I was I had a BMW. I was gonna, the car was parked there. Bushrunners was there. I was going to park here. All he had to do was to get up. I was going to get up with him. We put the things down so he stood out in front like three hours. It would have been a blinding robbery. It would have been the best robbery we've ever done. Put the things in, drove, and he was going to drive down there. The night before, I went down with a white ping, and I put a, 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 a white blob of white paint that was his guideline. And yet, when you get that guide paint, he, starts, he had to go start over and start breaking. Because there's a, very, there's a big pavement there. That was the plan. And I was going to go... Go for the three windows, come out. He was going to block the thing off with his lorry, take the key, throw the key away. Go for the windows, come out. I was there with the bag. 
was going to go bang, all big articles, bang, 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 bang. I think I'd have got about two million pounds out in the window. And that two million pounds, I was going to get a passport and go to Australia for a bit of peace and quiet. And uh, that was the plan. Simple, I mean, get on the tube, go on, no problem. But fate intervened. Fate had other ideas. Went in this Tom shop, I'll put the wig on, I'd got three uh, telephone boxes outside, put my gloves on, put my thing on, got myself ready, tooled up. I said, all right, let's do it. We went down there, walked in, uh, I, 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 I used to use a lastoplast, I normally didn't wear gloves, lastoplast, 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 covered it all up, but from the outside, you wouldn't know I was wearing gloves, you know. Plasterplast, great, great idea. I suppose more people don't do it. Anyway, rang the bell. As I went in, he had a rolled up newspaper, put it on the door so the door can't lock. I pulled the gun out. I said, stay where you are, no one's going to get shot. There was two brothers in there, enormous giants there, was two brothers, and an old man. He went to the window, Bank crash wallop, bank crash wallop. He got the jewellery. I think, I think it was eight hundred grand or something. Jewellery. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandt, the life of a cheeky faker. And from the back cover blurb, Max the forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandrett, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honour. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. We're now going down to Berlin Arcade, through the arcade, down, chuck a left, go right down to Piccadilly Circus, jump on the tube, see you later. As I've come out, what I didn't know, that the Home Secretary was round the corner in some building, and there were three rings of his bodyguards. And I ran, I think, into the third ring. That's four minutes. You couldn't make it up. <sighs> added to which as we come out of the shop they both come out screaming robbers 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 so I said robbers quicker than me I said go 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 you you got to get away because if you get away I'll get nicked but you've got money I can make another go at it who knows down the line you never know your luck he went one brother stuck with me and the other brother Chased after him. I fired three shots, just greased his leg. 
a policeman, a uniformed policeman was there, he shit himself, hid in the doorway, and all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed by people, plain clothes policemen. One had a funny hat on, an old woman with him, and all sorts of people. <laughs> Fucking, I was, I was overwhelmed with people. The gun was wrenched out of my hand, my wig half come off, like one of the Monty Python sketches. We <laughs> 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 were looking over my eyes. And I was dragged up, policeman dragged me up, handcuffed me into West End Central. And I got there, West End Central, and the wig, took the wig off and said that. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, he said, what's your name? I said, Mickey Mouse. He said, he looked at me, he said, don't fuck about it. He said, he said give us your name, otherwise we'll hold you down and take your fingerprints. And I didn't fancy rolling around the floor with 16 stone policemen. So I said, John Gary Hilton, 17th of the 8th, 29. CRO'd me, the doors flew open and all the suits come out looking at me. And that wasn't nasty. Bloody hell, he said. We had was all kitty knew, he said. We never thought we'd kitty thought this, he said. We said, knew you was gone, and we knew you'd go on the rampage. We knew you was going to do some big work. He said, we're so lucky to get you. But it was nasty about it. They were laughing about it. Well, he said, good luck, he said. Good luck. And he to the policeman. I had a Jager Lacour watch. He said, what's that watch? I, put, I, took, I took the watch and put it face down. I said, yellow metal watch. He looks at me, oh, oh no, it's just like a Jager Lacour, he says. He had a, put up in the paper, Jager Lacour. They come out of my shop in Brighton, he says. I said, oh, I said, did it? <laughs> 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 I said, I just took me in. I said, that was it. I was charged with armed robbery. And uh, then while I'm on remand, I saw a rab and he said, can you help me? He knew I'd done a, a few shootings here and there. He couldn't do bird. Kidding, it would have killed him. So I felt honour bound to confess to the two people, the murders in Golders Green in order to give him an alibi of, um, um, not pressure, what do you call it, alibi. I think it could come to me. There's an alibi you can use, not under pressure. Cross um, pretenses. Oh, fuck me. Anyway, give me the alibi. So I got in touch with the policeman uh, at the, 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 the prison, and they, when I see a police, policeman come down, I said, I want to confess to the murders of the jeweller and my Cody in Golders Green robbery. Well, we couldn't believe his luck. So I confessed. He knew why I was confessing. He wasn't that silly. I wouldn't confess to a fucking two murders for nothing. But I, 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 he got me out of prison so I had to try and get him out of prison. I couldn't abandon him. He'd been wrong. He'd been wrong. And so I confessed. I got charged with two murders and all sorts of other things. <clears throat> and the fullness of time, I gave evidence for him. 10 2. Nearly got out. Unfortunately, they got given 15 years. 
is that like yours, which got too bad. And uh, he gave me <coughs> Lawrence Fernie, what was his name? Oh, Lawrence, didn't like me. He said, uh, looks at me, he said, uh, I was charged with two murders, one, two armed robberies, and something else, guns and fucking hell. And he looks at me, and I looked at him, and he said, if you've got anything to say, it was the tip of my mouth to give him a volley. I nearly said, you fucking arsehole, what do you mean, no, I've got nothing to say. But I thought, no, <laughs> don't say nothing. Think about it. I said, nothing to say. He said, there's nothing I can tell, say you. Life times two, plus a recommendation, you never be released. 15 years on that and 50, I don't know, I went down, I went down the old valley. It's written down in the book. Went down, I sat down in the chair and I didn't give a fuck. Because I knew I was going to do 20 years and the best of the way. So I thought, I might not live to them, i.e. You know, you don't know, are you gonna, I just said, fuck it, carry on. I carried on. I went to the various prisons. I was a cat eye, <coughs> cat eye that, or a risk. Went to, um, God, prisons. These prisons have come to me. I went to this prison and I was there for 16 years. I got on well with everybody because I'm an easy man to get on with. I don't cause trouble. I spent my time drinking and smoking dope, cooking, reading and going down the gym. Exactly what I've done. Uh, and then one day I'm cooking the spaghetti and I'm making me a letter and I opened the letter, I opened it and started reading it and it, oh fuck me, bad. Career criminal, uh, gunman, uh, armed robber, going back in the vanguard of our robbers. So I just took it and slung it and I fucking slung it in a dustbin. Carried on cooking. My mate said, don't miss that. He took it out, shook it. He read it. She said, you've run your case. I said, well, how can I run my case? Look at that. I said, he said, read it. He said, right at the very end, the magic word, however. <laughs> however, due to your age and your confession to the two murders, and your exceptional behaviour. Huh? I thought, exceptional behaviour? What are you talking about? <laughs> I broke every rule in the prison when I was getting through it. But I never said nothing, obviously. So, I am quashing the whole life tariff and giving you one of 25 years. Well, I live again. So, that night, the booze come out, grass come out, out come the music, I away several away. Good old party, drink up, I got Lego, went to bed, we sitting near Lake, and woke up over near Lake, and carried on. <clears throat> now I kept getting governors, everyone, saying, why should you leave? I thought, no, I'll like stay a couple of more years. <clears throat> I'm all where I was. <clears throat> so eventually, everyone kept saying, leave, leave, leave. So all right, I went, I went down the journey, to, I went to describe to Lewis, Kingston, and I escaped from Kingston. And that's the tale. And, and then I went, when I got nicked, I kept getting governors. I was on, I was at Wemmer Scrubs. At night time, what have you been nicked for? What have you been nicked for? The home office was panicking, weren't I? 
anything. So I said, uh, I said, two murders, I said, I said, few armed robbers, I said, that's about it, I said. And he went, oh, old is it, oh, all old nervous, what are we going to do? Who's, who's going to kick the blame for him escaping? That's what it was, the blame game. Who's going to drop a bollock over, you know? And uh, I carried on. I carried on. And so eventually, uh, I went to hold the Briar. I'll get you through with the dates. You have to tell me what the dates are, so I'll, I'll get in sequence. And I came out. I came out of prison in January 1978. On the 28th of February, uh, in January, the last week in January, I went out in a robbery, got myself £6,000. I bought a cheap uh, 375 uh, uh, console, little console. The rest of the money, I bought some clothes, but I buried it and put it down. I become friends of a guy in um, Blunderston. I think it was Blunderston. No, the one near the prison near the shooting in in in, in where the range the shooting ranges, Bisley. There's a prison down there. I forget what it's called now. I was in there, and we just smoked up together, worked the laundry, played football together. Nice man. And so he said, oh, "Look me up." He said, "I said, yeah." Yeah, because he knew I was going to go robbing again. I've never been cured. I should have been cured by now, shouldn't I? Anyway. So I said, I want to go robbing again. So anyway, so we, I met him down the East End. He said, I've got a bit of work, he said. Then in the meantime, he goes out on the Williams and Glynn's robbery in, the old, in uh, Tottenham Court Road, <coughs> where Scott got shot in the foot. I think they dropped about 400 grand to come on top, but they managed to get a few quid out of it and put it away. He gave a couple of cousins 30,000 pounds to get bail. So now he's on bail, so he's looking to get some money before he goes away. Oh, the fuck off, he just got married. So you're talking to him about, he got to know about this Tom, a Tomer. He should take, on a Friday night, should take his money home and his jewelry home to value it. They take it home, they value it. Sounds good to me. So we followed him. Well, what I'd done, I found out he's leaving, he's to leave Atten Garden and the underground car park. So I followed him for a little way and I stopped. Next night, in the same position. And I stopped and started and stopped and started. Eventually, I, I tracked him back to where he lived in Nimes Avenue. I tracked him down to his house. I tracked him down to where he left his car. I've got him. So I said, right, we, we, we'll do it. Me and him, we'll do it. So on the night, uh, I gonna, I've got a shotgun in case it's needed. I said, do you bring a truncheon? Well, he brought a little truncheon about that big. If you, if you, it wouldn't have fired, a little detective one. I said, what's that, I said. I said, my fucking dick's bigger than that. What's, what's that about you, I said. He said, well, anyway. I said, all right. I said, even they're hitting the bushes. I got under a lorry. It'd been, it'd been raining slightly. I got under a lorry. 
with the shotgun. And I'm waiting. People, I can see foot people coming under past me, all Jews, all coming through. Eventually, I saw this red Daimler pull up, and his feet getting out of the car. He had a black overcoat on, a plastic bag. I rolled out under the car as he's walking towards his thing. Robert, he come out with this thing he had in his hand and he started beating him but the gives away his briefcase and was catching it on his briefcase and was screaming out in Hebrew as he's going towards his front door. Now I'm on the horns of a dilemma. It's no good going out on an armed robbery if you've got to shoot, if you, and let the prize go away <coughs> because you don't want to shoot anybody. I mean, to me, it's, it's an armed robber. It, it's a, it's a, it does nothing. So I said, stand aside. I fired a shot, which I thought would be into the geezer's leg. He jumped in the way. I shot him there. A big scoop come out of all black holes in it, which was the shotgun. He went down, and he's a strong man. He got up. I shot the geezer in the back, the lower back, just above his ass. I never forget. He flew through the air like a film. He flew through the air, and that's true. What they see in these films—that's what they do. They flew through the air and landed on his face. I picked the bag up one hand, in with the other, into a van. Now I entered the car. Sorry, into a, I stole a. We stole a bright gold. E, class E, uh, Ford. Dragged him in the back of the car, slung him in the back of the car, got in the car, zoomed away. Up the road, made a getaway, I had a blinding getaway. Went down the getaway, I had to leave the van where he was, because I couldn't let it where he was, to box up, I saw someone's house, for the rest of <coughs> Made our way back to Bethnal Green, not to Bethnal Green, to the line. Made our way back to North London. Uh, um, in some, I lived at a block of flats in uh, City Road. I forget the name of it now. I had the top flat, number 31. So, I dragged him out of the car, dragged him across, he limped across to the lift. The lift wasn't working. Of course it wasn't working. Of course it wasn't working. I needed a lift and it wasn't fucking working. So I get him on my shoulders and I'm dragged up the concrete steps. <coughs> He's lost of blood. Shock. Blood all up the fucking steps. A geezer come in from the pub, obviously. Up the steps. I made it I was drunk. Ah man, you suck it, fuck it. His own fucking fault. His own fault was it, you know, was it. He got rid of a bird and he got a bottle. He's a wild. He didn't want to know. He just saw two drunks on their steps. He just kept up in the bodies and fucking went on. Got him on my back. Dragged him all the way along <coughs> down his landing. Number 31. I got him in. Lay him on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the carpet in front of the fire. Bleeding. Blood was pumping out. So I got in, I knew a doctor 
I got inside my doctor, couldn't get him. I knew a nurse, I couldn't get him. Now I'm on the horns of a dilemma. As far as I'm concerned, I've got a dead man left in a thing. He's on bail. If I take him to the hospital, what's going to happen? He said, they may link him to me. He was certainly got a prison for 30 fucking years. And so if the position has been reversed, I would expect him to done what I done. Done the best I could, I'm sorry. He died. Because he wouldn't have thanked me five years down the line, having to serve another 20 or five years. He wouldn't have thanked me. He'd done what I done, fucking curse me. Terrible decision to be in. It changed from being a good friend to a problem. Just like that. So he's lying there. There's blood from the front room, from the front you know, uh, door, all the way down the passageway, all the way down the stairs, trying to blood. I thought, fucking hell, I've got to come out and clean this up. So I'm standing there. Doorbell went ding, ding, ding. I thought, fuck this. So I got the shotgun, put it behind the door, got the, 30, the revolver out, the 45, put it down by my side, opened the door. I thought, here's the cosa, bang. So I said, you're gonna go. I'm in a position where I can't give in, you know? Next door neighbor. Now he knew, I was renting Wisby's flat, his daughter's flat. It was her flat, Tommy Wisby. And Tom at the pub called the, the, the Remington Arms in Chicago Street. Or was it the Trafalgar and Remington Street? I don't like the pub there anyway. So I, <coughs> he said, are you all right in there? A lot of blood here. I said, oh, I saw one, mate. I said, I said we're down Wisby's pub. Just when I mentioned Wisby's pub, it, it changed. I said, the geezer got saucy with a bird. Geezer hit me with a bottle. I said, I cleaned the blood up. Nothing to write about. <coughs> Seriously, fucking right, I said. <coughs> oh, thank you, mate. I just thought I'd ask. Thank you. Shut the door. I thought, fuck it. And I thought, Went back to him, <coughs> I looked at him, he took take my shoes off, I took his shoes off. He gave a gurgle and he died. Death rattle all in his throat and he died. I mean fucking hell, I thought I've been out of prison for 28 days. I thought, fuck me, I thought, now what do I do? So I thought, you've got to think through this. So the first thing I'm going to do, I wrap him in a duvet, <coughs> drag the body down the stairs, into the boot of the car, because it's parked just near. Wrapped it out of the duvet. The head was going bump, 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 bump down the stairs. Bump, 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 down the Dragged him across to the front. I see a woman looking at me. She's talking at two dogs. She looks at me. I don't know what she thought, but she saw this bundle there. And I thought, whatever you do, don't come over because you'll fucking join him. Because I'm now I'm in survival mode. She walked on. I picked him up, got him to the boot of the car, shut the fucking door down. Left the car down there, I thought, now what do I do? What do I do now? I thought, I had a garage over Evergreen. So I drove him to this garage, parked him inside the garage, obviously a block of flats, parked him in there, bang, went home. I've got, a, uh, I've got a taxi home, all the way down to, to, to 
Bring again, North London. Got a bucket and mop out, I muck it in the cloth, and started mopping the landing down. Well, all I'd done, the landing was filthy dirty, obviously, never really clucked it. There's a clear patch, a clear patch, all the way down from my door, all down the stairs. I was wiping up blood for days afterwards, you know, from the stairs. Lots of blood here and I fuck it everywhere. I never stopped about the three, three or four days cleaning up blood. I felt like fucking Jack the Ripper. Anyway, I did the best I could. And I thought, how I never got nicked, I would never know. I think somebody was looking after me that night because by rights, someone should have phoned the police up and they should have committed me door. I would never know I got away with it. This, to this day, I never know I'd done it. Now, I took him down to the garage. I was on a scouting expedition to a place called Stone, just by the Dartford Tunnel. You go down the stone, it's got a little bank of shops, it's a busy road, across that road is a quiet road. I think there's a chalk pit one side and they're right around the other. So I pulled up, we've been in the back of the car outside this shop. I went in and I bought a spade and a shovel, put it in the back. It's lying in the back. I lump a rope to put on his ankles to dig up the fucking railway embankment. Crossed the road, I went down there about not too late, not too, about 12 o'clock. Not too late, not too early. Drove down, parked up, <coughs> opened the back doors, a car come behind me, put a high beam on, and I stood there over him, <coughs> making out, I'm holding him up with one hand, making out I'm doing something. And they go, they sped by me, I just thought it was somebody doing something. Oh, oh fuck me, oh, this is a, it's getting worse and worse, you know. I tied the rope on his ankles, it's, I know it's cold, but it was cold, but it wasn't cold, because he's my friend. I dragged him up the slope, laid him down with the towel, I do a big towel. And I started digging. First, I turfed, took all the turf up, put it at one side. Then I st started digging a proper grave, six feet long, about three feet wide. And I dug and I dug and I dug. The rain was falling down. I felt like broken air. Dug and I dug and I dug. I got down to about that level. And I thought, oh, I can't go no more. Put the shovel, whoom, got up, looked down, a deep grave, it was a deep grave. Got old, pushed him over the side, he fell on his side. Put the earth, 18 inches of earth, went into the grave, stamped down it, I know the grave sink. Stamped down to its firm, <coughs> another cut of foot, stamped down all over to its firm. And I kept doing that, so I built it up, built it up, built it up, and so there's a slight, Thing. That would sink. I re-turfed it. There was a dump nearby. I went down the dump. I got an old tyre <coughs> and some tins and a bit of old metal, and I put it over the. I put it over the. Well, the grave under the thing. No one goes on the building. On a, on a, on a, kids might go on it, but nobody go on it. 
In the meantime, trains are trundling to and fro, I'm at the hot hide as they come along. I went down, I got to the van, I drove on, back to North London, where I was living. I got indoors, and by that time, I was physically and emotionally drained. I had a hot bath, I took a large brandy, crushed it down me, I lay in the hot bath, <coughs> thinking, thinking, now what do I do? I forgot to get rid of the fucking car. This car's badly wanted. Got out of the bath, dressing gown, had the joint, and now I've been a fucking kid down me. Fell asleep, absolutely exhausted. I woke up in the morning about seven o'clock. I was aching and I've been digging and fucking hell. I got dressed. I went down to see a friend of mine, through a friend who I knew, with a scrap metal yard <coughs> called Paris, down at Greenwich. There's a scrap on, there's a, a cobblestone streets going down there with a pub. And at the end of it is a scrap metal yard, proper scrap metal yard, where they bungled it up in squares. And all, the, all, that, all that stuff was kind of Belgium. So I went down there and I see the geezer, the foreman. I said, I got a car, I want scrapped, I said. He said, 300 quid. Yeah, I'd give him a gratis, take the money, 300 quid. I pulled up by the wall. Now, what I didn't do, what I didn't know what to do, was to empty the petrol tank. I didn't know. So, in the back, it's covered in blood, blankets. The back looked like a fucking butcher shop, to the truth. So I come out and I was standing there watching him. The grab come over, picked it up, over the wall onto the crushing machine. And the machine started to crush it into a thing and he burst into flames. Smoke a mile away, flames every fucking way. <clears throat> he said, did you empty the tank? I said, no, I said, he said, fuck me, he said. He said, you could have fucking told me. I said, I'm sorry, I said, I never fucking knew. You know, next thing you know, the father goes there. Fireman looking down, I could see the fire was contained. He said that the petrol in the tank, the police come down, everybody come down there to see it. All people looking at the flames and the fucking scopes. <laughs> I was standing there watching them, in the middle of them watching them. Oh, I thought this is the fucking, it was the nightmare. Anyway, the flames died down and they fucked off. He finished crushing it. Picked it up and put it in a big pile that was going to Belgium that afternoon on a boat. That is taken care of, that done and dusted. All I could do now is get the van, get the van back. So I went, before I'd done that, I went in the pub, the little pub down there, a nice little pub, like a country pub it was. Went down there, I said, a large vodka please, of orange. So I did, it went down there. Large looker. I said, I'll have another one. No one vodka. I thought, and again. All to get the drunkest of fucking check. I got home. It's just a relief. Relief. I got home. Took me time. Washed the van out. I took it back to where I got it from. Give me a few quid. Thank you very much. 
And she said, thanks for cleaning the van. I said, a lot of shit in it in the back. I said, no, I cleared it out. I went back <coughs> and all I could see was, uh, I think it was a 2,000 pound reward for the whereabouts of Alan Roberts when I got shot. But nobody had a clue who it was. The, the, the wife blamed the, um, this, oh, what's the name? Richard, not, not Richard, uh, Frankie Fraser. They blamed Fraser for doing it. They thought he did it, they came out of trouble. <coughs> Everyone blamed everybody else. The police had a terrible investigation, obviously, being a Jewish man of high stature. His brother, his brother was a colonel in the army, or the, I think he come down. I remember the Jewish police come down. Don't ever get fucked with the Jewish police, they're deadly. It was dark, and being dark-skinned, they said it was a half-ghost. Please me. So I carried on, as normal. Um, I went to the jeweller, I said, are you still happy to <coughs> do business? He said, yes. He said, My business is business. <coughs> I got the briefcase. There was £30,000 in cash in the briefcase, but the, the accountant only declared a grain, a three grains, which he said he won at Kluke. Every They played Kluke before me. So I had 30 grand in cash there. Very nice. The Tom. Tom, uh, the briefcase, it's, a, it's like a small case with a zip force around it. Open it up, it's called little plastic envelopes in it. In the envelopes was green, yellow, brown, and yellow diamonds. Uh, melee, they're the ones that you put behind the outside of your watch for argument's sake, you know. And they was, it was, all the Arabs loved them, loved it for their ornaments and things. So that went well. So I wound up with £80,000 and twenty grand. And so I've, I met this lady in Thomas Pub. I've got a, a, a little boutique over at uh, Evergreen. I went and bought some stuff. We started a, a business. Our children come down from where they lived. And we were happy families. I had a couple of dogs, and I used to go out, and we went on a protracted honeymoon. I used to, and the money was in a plastic bag in the wardrobe. I used to, just to pick the money, pick a bag of money, a lot of my money out, put it in a handbag, up to RV Nichols, Portugal Masons, Arabs, go everywhere. Take the kids out. We used to think, well, our favourite was Portugal uh, Masons. They got a nice, up here they got a nice carvery, and you got a big balcony outside. They have all iron furniture on it. We've got there have bottles of wine with the kids on the way down, do a small portion on sweaters and things, and all, you know. But we enjoyed ourselves. We enjoyed ourselves. Uh, until one day the money ran out. The shop wasn't doing too bad, but then the, the slump come. 1979 slump come. With it all about business. Nothing about a slump. A slump come. Money was going short. Money was getting tight. 
So he's told me to get the gun out again and get to work. So I, uh, I went to work, I'd done a bit of work. I'm not sure what's in the, there's two robberies I'm a bit loath to discuss whether, I don't know, but I've done this bit of work. Um, did I shoot the geezer? No, I never. Uh, got a bit of work over at um, Poplar. Was it Poplar? Yeah, Poplar, I think it was. By the bank, the bank, the bank there on the corner. And I took the lighthouse money. Uh, what do you call the lighthouse, uh, the lighthouse people? Um, I took their money anyway. What would you really come to? About 20, 20, 20 grand. I took their money and we got in the car and we got home, all right. And I, I, I carried on robbing at regular intervals to bring some money into because I had responsibilities. I had a family, I had two children, I had two dogs, I had rent to put up, food on the table. Responsibility. I tell you one thing though, what very surreal. I remember one day I went out in a robbery in the morning and our shots was fired just in the ground, I think it was. And I got some money, I think about 18 grand. I worked on my own. And I went home and my wife was making sandwiches. She said, oh, we're taking the kids out for a picnic out of school. Oh, it's a great idea. Went to Goodness Park. At Goodness Park, you've got a small pond, and behind the pond, you've got a kids' playground. So we're sitting there, and I'm munching on ham sandwiches, drinking coffee, and the kids are running around, the dogs are running around, and it struck me how surreal it is that this morning, I'm out in a robbery, shots fired, and now I'm sitting here in Goodness Park, eating a sandwich, with my family, having a picnic. <laughs> and I thought, how strange life is. That's, that's a thought. Contrast. That's a thought. Contrast, yeah. you know. Anyway, <clears throat> I carried on robbing, and I met a geezer called Don Barra. He was a good robber, but he was a cross. And we went out and cut the bits of work. Never got no money from him, really. Uh, down a bank, but we never got nothing. This one of them, you go through a period where you can go out in several robberies and not get a penny. Something happens. It's like everything else, ups, ups and downs. Went through a bad period. Anyway, he got his collar felt. We, oh, we went out to work with the Rolls Royce, in the Rolls Royce. And I sat in the back of the Rolls Royce, he sat in the front. We did get some money. And I said, fuck me, Don, this is the one to go and work in it. Remember that? So, he went grass, I got nicks. <clears throat> they come for me the night before, I said to my wife, I feel in great danger. I'm very sensitive to the atmosphere. Next morning, I was getting the kids' breakfast ready, the doorbell rings, nobody rings my doorbell. I look for the people I had, I see a kid of the policeman outside with guns. Went out the back, I got me our station dog, Mr. Sam. Come on, Sam, come on, Sam, I said. I said, no one's there, I'm over the fence, I'm gone. They all popped up with guns. I was arrested. I uh, got nicked for that, well, I think I got nicked for a few uh, conspiracies to rob them. Uh, I got 14 years. The judge gave me 14 years. And he said, uh, 
Uh, he said, oh, it's the least I can give you, he says. In other words, he would have given me less. I, he said, I, I killed Eddie Pete. I said, guilty. He said, what have you got to say? I said, nothing I say. He says, nothing I can say. He nodded his head. He said, I'll give you credit for that, he says. And he gave me 14 years. So then, I had to confess to the murders. And my, my wife <coughs> come up and I said, don't come back no more. Go and divorce me and marry someone decent. And uh, I just I went from there. <coughs> Eventually I went downhill, different prisons, and got my discharge, you know. And come on, I old was I wanted to come home. What year was it? 80, uh, about say five years ago. I was about 80 something. I've got me to show you 80 odd years of age, I come home. Um, and the world had changed. Uh, I come home as a stranger in a strange land. I couldn't work any phones. The technology was too much for me. I still can't. I had a smartphone, I had to give it back. Couldn't work it. I got interested anyway. And I. Uh, I'm still learning now about little things what you should and shouldn't do, you know. I haven't done too bad considering. And so now, you see me in front of a television, a camera, telling you what happened. And uh, I wonder what's the next chapter in my life going to be. So when was the last time you was in prison? Uh, five years ago. Five years ago. I was in uh, Stamford Hill, down the road. Wow, so you were in your 80s when you got released. Yeah, I'm 93 now. So you missed a lot of technology. I missed everything. I missed everything. Wow. I missed everything. All down to the All down to the world. But I, I blame myself in a few areas, obviously. But I also, other people, grasses, got, got me nicked. You know, so this is. A mixture, it was a mixture of good and bad. Have you calmed you know. down now? Hey? Have you calmed down now? You're not going to go... <laughs> no, Rob, the, the, uh, no. <coughs> the average person, when they go out in the street now, is filmed an average of 300 times. There's cameras everywhere. And also, money is different. <coughs> it's all different now. <coughs> also, I'm a bit old. Too old. I'll come back to prison. You know, fuck that. What, what do you say to young people who think it's glamorous to, to go and do robberies? You do what you've got to do, but try not to get caught. <laughs> that's about the big, you know, that's right. People do things, don't they? You can't say, don't do it. They go and do it. There's not many armed robbers now. I must be one of the last going. They're all dead or waiting to die or something, I don't know. A lot of them converted to drugs. Well, they've gone the drug game. A lot of them went to the drug game, they're out in Spain or wherever they are, out of the way. Good luck to them. But the, the ones that are left are Mickey Mouse robbers. They go and do petrol stations and off licenses and things so. You, you can't talk to these people. They're a bunch of fools. You can't talk to them. Uh, they're just getting life sentences over trying to steal some beer. It's crazy, isn't it? You can't, you can't tell them. You have to, they've got to learn their own lessons. Yeah. You can't tell them. If you said you're being silly doing that, why don't you go and do something else? They haven't got the wit, the intelligence, or the courage to do something big. They go and sell something easy. They rush in somewhere, they get seven hundred quid, they run out 
Guy gets some drugs. Whoopee. Which I'm is, an armed robber. Which is a sad reflection of society, yeah, isn't it? I'm an armed robber. I'm an, that's what it is. The armed robbers now are not armed robbers. They're just uh, feral straight kids <coughs> with a gun. And they're actually what they are. They're actually what they are. They've got, they've got no honour, they've got no principle. They go back on their friends, they're unreliable. Nah, I wouldn't want to be one of them. I'm all as I am. I'm all as the others. So, if we do a part two, then we could do more prison stories, I imagine, because there oh, yeah. must be so many prison oh, of course, stories. Yeah. And all the different celebrity prisoners you've come yeah. across. Oh, yeah. Who, who, who have you come across in the prisons? <laughs> I've lost count. Everybody. <laughs> Everybody. Train robbers. Uh, a bunch of good men, they was. Train robbers. This Ronnie, Ronnie Biggs and them. They Ronnie were Biggs. solid men. All solid men. I admired them. Got respect for them. Uh, then there was the Richardsons. Not so much. That was all right. Craze. Uh, why? Why'd you go like that for the craze? Um, the Lambrianos. We've had we've had Chris Lambriano on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Fucking uh, Lambrianos. Um, George Foreman. Uh, Fraser's. They've all. They've all. Everybody. And uh, I know so many of them. That I can't remember all. I know near enough every robber and gangster that has been through the system. And do you think the craze reputation was overblown? A little bit, yeah. They was um the raise the craze had never been out in a robbery in their life. They was dangerous men. And they was shrewd men. The shrewd man was Charlie. Shrewd men. They got their opportunity and they took it with both hands. But they fucked it up. But they fucked it for the odds up because a member of the Mafia came to this country to talk to the craze about opening up a casino. Now you're talking about big money. It's on camera. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, no. You're talking about big money. Serious money. You're talking about where these two brothers could have conquered London. The front runner, I think, was going to be someone like George Raft or somebody, gangster pot. He was going to be the greeter. And his plans laid out to cut London up like a fucking sausage. As he was in the course of the conversation, as I was leaving, one of the crazy said, Well, why not give us 10 grand on account? And the mafia looked at them. He must have thought, are you fucking serious? We're talking millions of pounds and you want po 10 poxy grand of us. He went away and said, we can't do business with these people. Too small time. Because they're the wrong time. There was big frogs in the little puddle. Organised crime in America's big. Cool, sensible. Yeah. yeah. They're sensible people. They might be crying for sensible. They were stabbing people and they killed my pal. Um, Frank Mitchell, lovely man, Frank Mitchell. Great big man, powerful man. Wasn't very intelligent, but he was okay. He would never let you down. He had, he had a lot of convicts. They couldn't have the axe man. He wasn't a fucking axe man. He got out of Broadmoor, and he had an axe handle, just as a precaution. He went into the family called the Pegs, where they washed his feet. He got nicks. They took the axe handle to the police and put an axe on it. They called him the Axe Man. 
That's exactly what fucking happened. And the public, oh, they love it. Why did the craze kill him? Why did the craze kill him? They killed him because he wouldn't go back. His idea was to escape, because the night before he went, he come and see me, I said, I'm going to go in the morning. I've been picked up. I said, good luck, Frank. He gave me a packet of chocolate biscuits, and he fucked off. Next day, he went. So he him in the stove. He met this woman. He fell in love with this girl. <coughs> and he wouldn't go back. They couldn't console him. So they put him in the back of a van and shot him in the head a few times and took him down to the pig farm and buried him. I admire the mate, Jack McVitie, Jack Yatt, Great man, good man, solid man. He went in there one night, he was a pillhead. We've all got faults. And he went in there, double R one night, and give a, lot, give a lot of bollocks about the craze and fuck the craze and that sort of thing. So they lured him down to this place, a little flat, on, on the place of a party, and they went to kill him. They pulled a gun out, the gun jammed. They couldn't even get a proper gun to shoot the man with. That's how confident they was about killing people. He tried to get out of the window, they dragged him back, stabbed him in the throat, and he died. And they got rid of him. The only person they killed properly was George Cornell. They shot him in the head with a proper gun, in the, in the blind beggars. You know, he walked, bent, he walked down and his carpet slipped, the way he thought he was, his carpet slipped, so I shot him. Full sight. Of course they're going to get nicks. You can't go about shooting people without expecting to get nicks. People, was never, people who are afraid wait their chance to stab you in the back. That is why never make anybody afraid, because they will go against you. A frightened man is a dangerous man. Keep him happy. Keep him happy, you know. This is this is what it is. All, the, all these people, you know, they they all got this. They want to be. They advertise themselves as gangsters. They love to they love to be featured as gangsters. Who wants to? What do I want to put a, my picture in the paper for? As a robber? What do I want to do that for? What do I, I don't want to be famous. All I'm looking for is enough money to see myself through for about five or six years in comfort. Without worrying about the price of petrol, the price of fucking bread, or the rent going up, anything else. Just living peace and quiet, that's all I want. Not a greedy man, you know, I'll stop for what I can get. And this is the situation I'm in now. So because the craze killed your friends then, did you see them in prison? Yeah, I still see them. One of them was in prison, he was, uh, uh, Ronnie, was it? Reggie, Reggie was in prison. He was in Lewis to me. I loved a young boy. Love the young boy. He had a set of stairs going down on the ones. All the young kids was down there, and he'd be sitting on the step, and everybody used to watch him. First, the kid would have a sweater. He put on a nice sweater. The next step was a gold chain. And once he had the gold chain, he was up there in his cell romping him. He was disgusting. He loved the young kids. And then the screws banned him for sitting on the stairs. He once come in my cell, I'll never speak to him. If I can help it, but I think he, you know, he came in my stairs. Oh, he said, I thought I'd come and introduce myself. 
I said, I know you are. I said, how are you? He says, and I shook his hand. And you know, you read about people all saying, I wanted to wash my hands afterwards, but that's exactly how I felt. I wanted to wash my hands afterwards, because he was a vile man. There had nothing about him whatsoever, a treacherous, vile man, you know. I mean, I've met a lot of good men in prison, honourable men, decent men. People will go, oh, how can they be decent? They're robbers, they're shooters, they're stabbers. Don't matter, that's what that business like is. But they're private, I've opinion, they're good people. They go give you help, they give you help. So they're not all bad. They're not all bad. A lot of them are, but a lot of them ain't. You know, and if a man's bad, I say he's bad. If a man's good, I say he's good. I say it as, as it is. You know, no, it's all lies. You know, the only time I told lies is in the funnel's talk of the old baby. <laughs> <laughs> so for the people watching this, John, is there anything you want to say to them? They've just watched this for three hours. Is there anything you want to say to the viewers? Viewers, have a nice day. <laughs> That's it. All right, so, you know, we're aiming to do a part two with John Hilton. And if you've got questions for him, put them in the comments. 45 years, can you imagine the amount of stories, what John has seen, what he's been through, the ups and downs. I know early on he described some of the prison stories, but... There was decades, you know, that, that, that we've got to fill the blanks and therefore he's been in every single prison in the country, the only person in the UK, which is probably a Guinness World Record, as, as well as the 45 years. So please put um, questions for him in the comments below this video. And then when we come back, we'll, we'll pad out, the, you know, the prison time, the prison stories. We'll talk about the other high profile prisoners that he's bumped into. Must have been some some uh, serious killers along the way and stuff like that, and um, yeah, we'll we'll just take it from there. So it's absolutely mind blowing. We are working with John on his book as well, so that's something else you will be able to look forward to. Um, hopefully, we can get that out in the next year or so. So, what well, you know, huge thank you to, to John for 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 doing this today. Yeah. Um, thank you to Bob for arranging it. And you want me to give a shout out to? To uh, Stephen, uh, we call it we call him the Don, just as a joke. Stephen the the Don. The Don. Yeah, happy it's my signing Shout out to Stephen the Don as well. Cheers. Yeah, it's been a absolute. I've just sat here just mad. I've never heard anything quite like this before in my life, and we have interviewed well, a lot of people. The thing is, I always speak the truth. I don't. I don't tell lies. I need a policeman and psychologists. <laughs> Prison psychologists. <laughs> One day I'll get the time, I'll tell you about prison psychologists. Yes, next time. Open your eyes. In part two. Open your eyes, you will. Yeah, I'm keeping a file on you. Our <laughs> the Home Office, in their wisdom, are making men into actors and liars. You've got to. Because you've got to, you've got to impress three people. Inside the post officer, outside the post officer, and the, and the prison psychologist. If you can impress these three people, you'll 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 win your parole. These are the main three. But to impress them, man, you've got to go some. You've got to go some. But I found it easy, you know, because I could. I studied psychology for two years. I found a book called the A to Z of Psychology, and I got to know not where you're coming from. 
for where they're coming from. And they're looking for they're looking for empathy, looking for understanding, uh, empathy, understanding. They're looking for accept your um, offences and also to understand the effects your offences have had on the people, their friends, yourself and the public at large. One more but I forgot what it was. But these are the main things they're coming from. And once you can, and also... Remorse, is that one? Remorse is one, yeah, yeah, remorse, yeah. And also, what you've got to do, you've got to answer a question. Now, a person asks you a question, are you sorry? You say yes. Now, that is an open-ended question, which, which means that yes, at least why are you sorry? What made you sorry? Before you know where you are, you're in a corner with questions. So, when I say, are you sorry? If you go down the line, I realise what I've done, the effects it had on people, myself and everybody else. I empathise with the people. Um, I regret what I've done. I have great shame and all that shit. Carry on and carry on. And, carry on. and that kills that question dead. On to the next question. Hey, I said, and they keep asking leading questions. Now, a lot of the people don't understand about leading questions. Well, I, 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 on this day, I was out, I was out in um, what prison I was in, some fucking where. Hello, John. I said, hello, son. He said, uh, I used to write people's report, re, 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 uh, parole applications out from, loads of them, because I'm a good writer. I can work together. I've got a couple of parole. He said, I've seen him, he said, I've just seen a, 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 a psychologist for a, a report report. I looked at him, I thought, oh dear. I said, what happened? He said, well, he says, what happened was, he had a shotgun, went out on a robbery, poked the man in the back of the shotgun, the shotgun went off because it was faulty, he got killed, he got life a tragedy wreck. Now he's going to see the psychologist, trying to get out. He said, hey, I've seen the psychologist. I said, what did you say? I could have told him what he said. Well, I said, what I said was, I said was that uh, I didn't really mean to kill him. I thought, God. he said, what well, I said, uh, I poked him with the gun. It was a faulty gun, and the gunman often killed him. He said, but it wasn't my fault. I said, you told that to a psychologist. I said, you just put about eight years in your sentence. I said, are you fucking serious? I said, I'll, I'll give up trying to talk to you people. You can't tell them. Cannot tell them. They go, into, they go to these psychologists who are 25 years of age, learning their craft. Before they see you, they go for your record and know you backwards. Not like outside, you go and see a psychologist as a stranger, they form their opinion of you already. Okay? So you, you've got to fight against that, fight against that. Because they say, oh, this is a, always for me a dangerous man, a gunman, a killer. An armed robber, dangerous man. That is their perspective when you come walk into the room. You've got to change that by what you say. Hey? And I was to change it. I could change it. So I could read them better than they could read me. I went to see a psychologist on the landing. A lot of screws was behind her. With a gate. I said, excuse me, I said, can I see you a minute? Well, she flew across. So all the psychologists were to me on their books. 
I won a prize. I said, can I ask you a question? Oh, yes, she said. When the birds are bred here, a blouse undone, so I, uh, they were the same. Full smile, you know. Oh, yes, she said. I said, well, I said, if you speak to God, I said, every day, every, lots of people speak to God. Is it a good thing? She said, oh, yes, she said. Very laudable, very laudable. I said, why is it if God speaks to you, you're a paranoid schizophrenic? All the school started laughing. <laughs> she was furious. <laughs> oh, well, I said, uh, I said, see? Psychologist, I said, you want to sort yourself out? I said, fuck off. That's Yeah, all the same there, all the same. All, all false smiles, uh, low cut dresses, 25 years of age, uh, seeking to have the Say, oh, I was four, four years, five years in Whitemore, uh, dealing with every criminal you can imagine, and I've put this on this and that, and so they, they rise on their relentless rise to go private again, aren't they? <laughs> to go private again, aren't they? You know? That's what it is. So you've got to learn. So what the Amorphists are doing, really, they're forcing people to become fluent liars. You've got to be. If you tell the truth, You'll never get out. If you sat there and said, I don't give a fuck, you never come out. You never come out. How do you think about the people? Shit happens. You'll never come out. This is what they're doing. They're forcing people to become liars and actors to these lots of people around you. Theatre. See? This is hypocrisy on an industrial scale. But well, mind you, the government are very good at hypocrisy. Because there's more liars in the government and cheats and treacherous people than there is amongst criminals. You know, every week, upskirts, round someone's arse, money in the bank, envelopes being taken. I never said that, but they did. Denial, denial. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's just have a field day with them. <laughs> Thanks right, again, John. Yeah. Let us know in the comments then, and if you've got questions for John, please put them in the comments and we'll put them in yeah. part two. Thank you for watching. Cheers, take care.